Every time it's like the first time of, of, of how to technology. Yeah, the, the blinking record button is very much the tell us a joke of, uh, of, of poetry, <laughs> right? Suddenly I can yes. barely remember my name, let alone words. So, um, this is episode 24. Um, yes, we have, we have now completed 23 episodes of the past, uh, which we, uh, have just on the epiphanimus of our birth, uh, um, the anniversary of our first episode, which is Epiphany. Uh, we just did a week long celebration and released seven lost episodes. And one that we just forgot to put out in a timely manner after it was recorded. So it wasn't really lost so much as just wandering. Uh, or yeah, it was, it was right there. It was the Feast of Michaelmas. And I like to think, yeah. you know, Michaelmas was kind of floating with its protective wings, waiting to... You to mean Ficklemas. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we are in an exceptionally proud of ourselves dopamine high. Of, <laughs> uh, we technically have all our old episodes out. There are two half episodes. There was one half episode, and now there are two, which we have a plan to to remedy, and I already have enacted half of said plans. So we are on en route, as mm-hmm. as um, Pepe Le Pew might say. Um, uh, but that's it's exciting. It's exciting to be caught up um, in one any aspect of my life. Yeah, some of these go back to like 2017, the the, the feast of uh, Saint Mary of Egypt. And Valentine was 2018. So yeah, I think it was just State Mary of Egypt. Um, and we do have, you know, our half episodes are, are now Valentine. When we, when we did recover said files and, and Mark was able to stitch the disparate sides of our Skype, um, wormhole together. Uh, it turns out we only had the last hour. Uh, so, uh, stay tuned. Um, was, there might be time fun. travel involved. Yeah. It was very fun to do the, the, the time travel stuff. That was great. <laughs> Um, and we're time traveling right now because people don't know what the hell we're talking about, which is fantastic. <laughs> Who makes a, a cult podcast to be understood? <laughs> that's that's right. Absolutely. Speaking of time and podcasts, uh, should we Sesame Street our uh, our themes for uh, for today? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, hello everyone. For, welcome to Radio Free Golgotha. That's that's this thing we're doing right now, and we've done we've we've done a bunch of them uh, uh, already. Um, thanks for joining us, whether it's the, the first or otherwise. Did uh, you ever stop to consider that if this is episode 24, we're averaging less than four episodes a year? No, no, no. I want my dopamine. <laughs> we're up to date. That's the important thing. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> who doesn't remember 2017 like it was yesterday? Right. Um, right. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, please. <laughs> Ow, what's in store for us today? What's in store today? Well, uh, we're uh, 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 wishing everyone a very happy feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. That will be our patron saint and patron feast of, uh, of this session. Uh, our demon, um, you know, just to, uh, just in big is, uh, Ashtaroth, uh, or Astaroth or Astaroth or Astaroth. Uh, we'll go through some of those, uh, wonderful permutations of nomenclature. Our plant is the, is the mighty oak. Uh, our stone is the thunderstone. Uh, our, our magic 
is the magic of the passions. Uh, <laughs> you're playing while well, technically proficient, like passion. Uh, our figure is uh, 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 via uh, the way or the path. Uh, sometimes, sometimes the river, occasionally a bunch of other aliases, and it's correspondingly similarly shaped uh, <laughs> Meji uh, of Bay. And our uh, major arcana is the Empress, just to, just to bring us on home. Uh, so we're very excited uh, to be uh, cracking into this, and very excited for you to be joining us with your with your ears, is is, or indeed with I don't know if you've got um, speech to to text things as well. That would that would also be pretty rad. I hope mine's in a cool font. I like I am felt English. <laughs> yeah. The, the, oh, um, um, memories, uh, memory kicking mm-hmm. in of uh, if you are new, um, hi, welcome. Uh, it will not get more organized or make more sense, I promise. Um, we do have a webpage at www.radiofreegolgotha.com, which uh, has the updated, um, consistent, all the record, the history, the the syllabus of our of our errors. A rapture. Um, yeah, uh, a rapture sheet. And uh, in addition to this, uh, it does provide links to YouTube. It, you can check us out there for any uh, engagements that that. Uh, Al or I might be doing talks that we're doing around the country or online gigs if you're interested in, in hearing either of us babble more um, or babble on as it were and uh, there's also uh, a Facebook group for those of you that are on the Libra AF um, which is folk necromancy it, it, please answer the initial questions because we, we are strict about um, the, the questions the necessity of those answers like American Masonry I don't think the majority of people understand what the group was created for but well, that was deep. Uh, but the the group's topic overall is, as folk necromancy is looking at the various necromancies, both engaging with the dead, but also the kind of more uh, early modern conception of demonology and and the dead being in one classification to explore uh, the invisible world and the folk applications of these things. So not always looking at at just high magic, but how high magic might actually be used, um, as well as folk magic and folk engagements, as well as funerary practices and uh, ancestor reverence and the various things that titillate our, our, our tits. New, new tomb excavation just dropped, babe. Yeah, yeah. This, this is <laughs> and in addition to that, uh, we are planning, at I would say, at least two more speakeasies this year, if not more. Oh, yeah. uh, we're consistently talking about hosting them, but the speakeasies of the dead are uh, a series of like an online informal conference of sort. It's more of a gathering in a salon atmosphere. Um, exploring various topics that is on a base loose theme. We've done four of them so far, and we will, we look forward to more, but these are all things that you can, um, check out at our website, um, and on our various pages. We're very bad at Twitter, but, uh, meaning I'm bad at Twitter and Al is non-existent on Twitter. Um, so, uh, we'll try to announce these things, but this is the official, uh, boring part. Of, of trying to understand what the hell to say to make sure that we say who we are. So um, this too will get better, maybe pre-recorded in the future. Okay. This is, as Al has said, the January 28th feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. who is very intimidating. Uh, there are a, a lot of topics that are a little intimidatingly broad and um, uh, not just like many of our topics are historical, but it's as you were just saying, Al, the problem with Thomas Aquinas is he was a real person. So we, we don't just get like 
previous to the third century pre, you know, pre congregation, uh, adoration of a figure, we get a historical record from a prolifically prolific writer who, uh, is, is, Thomas Aquinas is famous for his writings. Um, and huge amounts of philosophy coming out of this Sicilian. And it, because he's 13th century, this is written history and very well written history. Um, it is, uh, having spent several hours trying to review my head of why I might like Thomas Aquinas. Let's be honest. This saint was chosen because it was near the end of January <laughs> and allowed us and our sound engineers some time to get this episode out perhaps on time. So, uh, sorry, Thomas, you were not our, would not necessarily be my first choice, but you certainly are my choice today. And for that, thank you. He is sometimes called, in addition to Al, the good doctor or the angelic doctor and, uh, Dr. Universalis, Dr. Communis, you know, he's, he's from the county of Aquino. So Thomas Aquinas, um, in Italy, his, his ancestry, big natural theologian. Mm. Um, some people say the most influential, uh, philosopher or thinker in the, in the Middle Ages, in the medieval period. Um, and the greatest of the medieval philosopher theologians, you know, it, it's, it's, you either like him or you don't, but you can't deny the fact that he was prolific. Right, 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 right. Definitely considered one of the Catholic Church's greatest theologians and philosophers, right? Yes. Um, I, I don't think anybody's ever even been compared to him as far as the sheer amount of philosophy, but it, that time period also has the recovery of so much. Um, this is the, the seeds of the Renaissance are being sown, right? And a yeah. lot of things that were formerly in uh, like Greek philosophy, which had been deleted by the mm -hmm. church, uh, was then had been translated to Arabic. And because of the Moorish occupation of Spain and mm -hmm. Spain's Castilian monarchs translating so many of the classical Eastern Mediterranean philosophical treatises, now the, the Christians are taking back this philosophy and forming new ideas with it based in their very much rooted in Christianity and right. trying to rectify this great wisdom that came out of thousands of years of philosophy before them that is now, uh, it's stirring some brains very strongly. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the Christian monastic schools translating various scholastic uh, Islamic and, and, and Jewish uh, philosophers and philosophies. And, yes. and surely most crucially, which is how I, I know Aquinas through doing some uh, my, my doctoral work is, is redis quote, rediscovering the collected works of, of Aristotle, which I believe throughout uh, Aquinas' career, he just refers to as the philosopher. Yes. Uh, the time. And so, you know, uh, uh, yeah, he's a, he's an influential philosopher and theologian. He's a doctor of the church. He's a, a Dominican friar, uh, which is his family is not too keen on, uh, initially. Uh, and he's very engaged with, uh, scholasticism, which is, you know, the, the philosoph uh, philosophical analysis, mostly based around the Aristotelian 10 categories, but, but in short, attempting to synthesize Aristotelian philosophy with, with principles of Christianity, uh, particularly the Aristotelian metaphysics and its account of, um, of the premium mobile with various like Catholic, uh, notions of like, uh, the, the Trinity in their, in their theology, for instance. His best known works are, uh, are the disputed questions on truth, uh, which he writes between 1256 and 1259, I believe, uh, the summa contra, uh, gentiles. And the, I didn't realize it was unfinished because it's just so massively influential and just massively massive. Uh, the Summa Theologia, uh, or Summa yeah. Theologica, 
uh, which he writes between uh, or comes out between 1265 uh, and 1274. And I'll be honest, that's the only one I've read in any depth. Uh, and even that with, uh, with the heavy uh, annotation of uh, Robert Minor, who's a, an Aquinan scholar, uh, particularly interested in the passions, uh, which, which we shall get to. Yes. Um, I, I do think the, the model of his, his Christian story is quite fascinating as far as a saint goes. Again, the family, um, another family. I don't mean like we've talked about it already, as in when I say again. But again, we see yet another person who wants to join an order and their family is like, no, bad right. idea. In right. fact, so bad, we're going to lock you in a prison. Right. We're going to, um, we're going to kidnap you, but we're going to family human traffic you back, yeah. <laughs> back to the castle and keep you there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's go from, let's go from, from, from the top. Um, uh, so he, we, at least in terms of like thinking about him as a philosopher and as a, as the, as a philosopher, Satan things, uh, it's worth talking about like early and earliest education, which we're pretty sure is, um, uh, he's, he's sent to the, the Monte Cassino, uh, the Abbey there at the age of five. Uh, and then some, some war, sorry, military conflict, excuse me, uh, uh, between, uh, Emperor Fred II and Pope Greg IX, uh, spills into the Abbey, uh, around, uh, 12, uh, 39. And so his, his parents, uh, Landolf and Theodora, great names, uh, have Thomas enrolled in the, in the new university, the, the Studium Generale, uh, which has been established in, in Naples, uh, by Frederick. And it's there that most historians argue that he's probably introduced to Aristotle, as well as, uh, uh, Averroes and, of course, our man, uh, Maimonides. Who would all obviously yes. influence his, his 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 philosophy and his and his theology? But yes, right. So at the age of of nineteen, he he he. Uh, I, I haven't really uh, encountered exactly what it is that that said to 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 say in his heart, but he he resolves to join the Dominican Order, which had only been founded like three decades earlier. So it's still pretty. I, I wonder if that's one of the main reasons that it's it, that the family are not into it at all. But that happens all the time. New orders and things like that. As long as the church is. Got it. I mean, there's no difference to me. I don't know. Maybe that was it. Maybe like, no, we're a Cistercian family. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's like colleges at Yale and Harvard. But uh, I'm not sure. I The one note that I thought was fun to just muse on, this kind of glossed over, but his teacher in almost all the things he studied at the academy was an Irishman. Um, mm. And we don't often hear in in a, a nod to the scholastics of Ireland uh, in, in the medieval period, it, they are there. There's many scholars, but, uh, Peter of Ireland, uh, was, was the one who is said to have taught him arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, music, logic, natural philosophy. And uh, this is fascinating, but, you know, he gets swept away by this idea of the Dominican order and, uh, the OP as they're known, the order of preachers. And, uh, you know, Dominic is his own. Every order has their, their certain feel to them, but his family is, is pissed off and, uh, they, what they think they move him to Rome and then Paris. And yeah, the, the Dominicans are arranging to kind of like, um, a shell game him out of it because, uh, yeah. his, uh, Theodora has a bunch of like influence, uh, uh, various, uh, spots to try and get him back. And so he's, he's on the, he's on the road to Rome. Uh, and, and per his mom's instructions, his brothers like, uh, 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 uh bum rush him. Uh, supposedly while he's drinking from a stream, uh, I believe, or a spring. And then yep. they take him back to the castle at, uh, Monte, uh, San Giovanni Campano. And he spends like a year being held prisoner there, all the while being like, nope, <laughs> as soon as, as soon as I get out, I'm off to the Dominicans. And, uh, I think they, they hire a prostitute. Uh, well, I know they do, at least according to the record. Uh, yeah. I was not there. Uh, I was that prostitute. 
uh, <laughs> the, but they hire a prostitute to seduce him. And um, he drove her away uh, with uh, a log from the fireplace. And so this becomes a subject of many paintings and, and, and uh, artworks. And there's a famous one where um, angels are actually wrapping him in a cloak of chastity after he returns said burning log to the fire after having chased away the harlot. Right. He's said to have inscribed yeah. a cross onto the wall with it and then fallen into a mystical ecstasy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he won, you know, what yeah. is the, here's the quote, uh, behold, we gird thee by command of God with a girdle of chastity, which henceforth will never be imperiled. What human strength cannot obtain is now bestowed upon thee as a celestial gift. And so he was given the grace of perfect chastity, which I, as Catholic school echoes in my ears, I remember the very strong admonition that chastity does not mean um, celibacy and there is a difference but it does mean correct sexuality so if you are not married then you would not engage in sexual acts it doesn't you know it's that type of thing of being chaste means that you are being pure for the allotment that you are and so i think it's just you know it's not so much the sex that's the problem it's that he's not married to the harlot it's it's honoring your agreements and and, yes. and yeah and, and 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 sexual integrity of sorts I guess being 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 an ethical slutty priest yes absolutely uh, so yeah he says, he says uh, get behind me slutty Satan uh, and the girdle is apparently uh, it's, it's a girdle sometimes as well as a, a cloak right and it's um, yeah uh, it's now in um, Chieri apparently near near Turin mm-hmm. I don't know much more about that it's oh, when we when we get to it uh, when we get to talking about his canonization the, 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 there's there's some interesting points about the fact that the 28th is actually the the translation of his of his bones, uh, which yes, I love. Another one. I think saints are translations. It makes me very happy. So the other thing that makes me really happy about looking at Thomas Aquinas is, of course, he went to Cologne. Of course, yeah. he hangs out with Albertus Magnus with Big yeah. Al. Yeah. So he's he's sent off to study at the Faculty of Arts uh, at Paris, uh, which is where he's likely meeting another Dominican scholar, right, uh, at Albert the. Uh, who's then chair of theology at uh, the College of St. James. And uh, it's it when, oh yeah, that's this is it, right. Yeah, so when um, Albertus gets a promotion to, to teach at the new Studium Generale at Cologne, at Cologne uh, in 1248, uh, uh, it seems Thomas goes with him, basically, and actually um, declines an offer uh, to be abbot at uh, Monte Cassino as a Dominican, uh, which is a nice little, like, that's where he's kind of, like first went to school, but he doesn't want to go back to his alma mater. He wants to like push forward to this like yeah. citing uh, hotbed of of of, uh, of of you know church doctoring on the Rhine that is that is Colin at the time. Well, that's an interesting theme in his life in general, right? Like I, I think I kind of project backwards upon why his family might not want him to join the Dominicans. So they want him to use his intellectual gifts to better the family and right. to bring renown to the family. So he's going to not bring wealth to the family, bring wealth to the church now or to his order and. Similarly, that's the Pope that offered him that job, which kind of says like, oh, go back and teach young people, please. Teach yes. them this amazing thing you're doing. And he's mm-hmm. like, I need to keep learning. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I need to do my own work. I'm not focused on teaching other people. I'll write and go from there. Or at least that's what I project. Yeah, no, the, 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 the central uh, tension in, in, in the universitat, right, of like, are we a research uh, institute or are we a teaching institute? Because those are not always the same thing. No, no, not at all. Yes, yes, yes. I was going to say we get the first sense of like what he's like, kind of his, his personality a little bit coming through with with um, yeah, Albert uh, talking about he was he was apparently very quiet and didn't speak much, and some of his uh, some of the other students in in Cologne kind of assumed he was uh, he was a little simple or or you know wasn't really doing very much. And yes, there's there's a, a wonderful 
uh, quote attributed to Albertus Magnus, right? You, you, you call him the dumb ox, but in his teaching, he will one day produce such a bellowing that it will be heard throughout the world. Um, which of course brings up the, the tetramorphic cherubim and gospel imagery of the, the taurine bull. Uh, it's interesting too. I, I remember talking about a similar lives of saints with friends of it's easy to kind of say that, oh, you know, because they all learn Latin, that they all speak each other's language. And that's, that's certainly true that it helped, but there was a great deal of ridicule that when you went from say a Sicilian or Italian Latin all the way to Germany, which pronounced Latin very differently because mm. church Latin had not been created yet. So if there, there's a Latin was pronounced regionally differently and languages were evolving around, evolving around the difference in those pronunciations. Mm. So Latin could be understood universally when written, but not as much when spoken. And there's record of this too, that in the 13th, 14th, 15th century, because the, this, the empire of Rome is long gone, that Latin has evolved so much and certain people are taking certain words different ways and regionalisms that the dialects of Latin are very difficult for people to understand. And I think about that with him going to Cologne and then, you know, I'm sure there was, you know, he's speaking many languages at that point, but it, it's also the difficulty or I think about that and what it must be to like your accents kind of muddled um, attitude of, of someone who's, you know, oh, how cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the long-standing cultural thing of the supposedly civilized North uh, Italian yes. regions and peoples very much looking down their nose as well as down the boot at uh, at Southern Italians. Um, yes. If we count Sicily as, as, as fully Italian. Uh, Sicily, Spain. So, you right. know, like that's, that's, that's a right, whole right, other... Right. Spain and Africa. But I was um, going to say, yeah, with, with, with delicious Moorish-influenced food, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is also, you know, the cultural cultural exchange between uh, or just continuum between Spain, Northern Africa, uh, Sicily, Naples, uh, is, is, is not to be underestimated. And that there is this wonderful thing of the Renaissance CS being founded in this Florentine attitude of Northern Italy, but like the seeds of it were for several hundred years beforehand and is not, it's not out of the blue. Um, and, and certainly Aquinas is, uh, undoubtedly, uh, uh, a, a, a prominent figure in the pre-Renaissance. Um, to allow these things to come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's sometimes a sense that like Aristotelian scholasticism is kind of blamed as the like, oh, it's a bunch of uh, book nerds that don't actually go out. And it's, it's often contrasted to the, 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 uh, the later Renaissance uh, empiricism of like, go and count how many legs the, 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 the animal has rather than just going to Aristotle and being like, flies have four legs or flies have like, uh, however many legs it's, it's said they're said to have had, but the the yeah. other aspect of of, of that of, of the of the wider kind of like monastic scholasticism is is exactly it's like it's it's building the methodologies to be able to integrate a bunch of these older pagan ideas uh, along with some yeah. you know very like for the time forward thinking Christian notions uh, and and again mm -hmm. you know sources as as wide as like yeah, I think a lot about like Maimonides in that context as well of like. I'm not saying magic isn't real. I'm just saying let's not be idiots about it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think it's interesting laying the it lays the groundwork too for the attitudes of of because of increased trade during this time period, uh, which was shipbuilding and things like this. Uh, there's such an influx. There's there's huge explorations into Africa during this. You know, it's starting, and we see the the setup for two centuries down the line for 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 New World and the what happens when old world comes into con 
contact with a quote unquote civilized new world peoples is to say that, well, they must have had a visit from Jesus. Um, they must be Christians and, and, and they have, uh, been led astray by the demons that are portrayed for, you know, masquerading as their gods. And that's the way of saying like, wow, they have their shit together. Um, they're just not Christian. And this is a common theme. And I, I, I see some of that groundwork laid in the, I mean, that, that is there in the suggestion of how do we rectify this excellent pagan philosophy within yeah. a Christian framework? And it's, you know, well, we take what's good because that was always true. Right. And this type of thing of like, do, are we laying the groundwork for this idea of the harrowing of hell? Which it's lovely to remember that harrowing means breaking the soil uh, because it, it becomes something, it has several connotations, but that harrowing itself is the act of when the plow breaks the soil. And the harrowing of hell itself of the good pagans, as well as uh, the patriarchs and and the Jews that were living an exemplary life that are, you know, in that first outer layer of hell called limbo, yeah. that this becomes uh, the, the groundwork. And there's something similar there that I'd see in this idea of how do we approach pagan works? How do we, you know, give credit to these people that we're encountering that have things that we might want? Um, how do we rectify the past with uh, our invented history? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. what is what coming at odds here. Yeah, and Thomas Aquinas spends uh, millions of words describing such. Yeah, I, I, I think very much of like how the the Prisca Theologia this concept of like God transmitting truth back in the day. And that what we then have is a, is a catastrophist understanding of remembering and forgetting various aspects of it, along with like, you know, Tower of Babel and like prismatically splitting off that truth into lots of little bits of part of the truth, which you can think of absolutely as like the, the, the that harrowing as like, uh, as, as, as saving those quote, good pagans slash, you know, colonizing other people's dead, but also trying to, uh, seek a, a through line through all of that stuff. And I also, you know, I, I, I'm always uh, here a little bit for history that acknowledges that things are not a steady positivist's increase of knowledge, that that, that knowledge has to be articulated and, and re-expressed. It can't just sit there. Um, has to, you know, otherwise, it, 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 you know, it's a use it or lose it kind of situation. Absolutely. And I, th- I think um, in this transmission and, and even in building upon this idea of the conversion of of these great knowledges into something that is acceptable and therefore true in the world, because for it to be real, it must be brought into the fold of the church. Um, and in, in, in this way, the church is the new, you know, center of the universe, uh, the Vatican specifically, but, um, that he does turn over to teaching, right? Because he's, he's researches enough at enough point, but specifically the Summa is the Summa Theologica is, is aimed to be a beginner's text. Yes. Um, it is, it is the milk you feed to infants, um, <laughs> as it were. It also has a, has a bunch of that stuff that you'll, you'll see later on, which is both, uh, of, uh, of trying to go a little bit from first principles a little bit. Um, yeah. very, very much like that. Um, is that, uh, 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 meme I, I saw recently is something like, um, someone saying like, houses have windows and cars have windows and houses stay still. So it can't be the windows that make a car stand still because uh, to make a, a house stand still because cars have windows too. So it can't be the windows that make the car go. And someone being like, this is exactly what ancient Greek philosophy is like. Category <laughs> 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 stuff. Um, as well as the like, you know, the 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 sheer caucasity of like Rene Descartes stoned out of his mind, crawling into an oven and being like, okay, so I think, all right, and therefore I am. Let's go from like, what is to think? 
what is to yeah what is what is uh, what is cogito etc right the the uh the desire to build things up from 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 very first principles is kind of in some cases there but it's also you know still 13th century and so there's still a lot of like well obviously as god has done this like then let's move on from what we do about it which is again where where aquinas uh, and his stuff on the passions uh kind of starts to to, to get into uh, ethics as well as just kind of like uh, uh psychology for whatever better term So his remains, uh, that's why he's, he's the 28th of January, his, his feast, because they're translated from Fossanova to the church of the Jacobins in Toulouse uh, on the 20th of January, 1369. Nice. And then they're held there for a little bit. And then in, in like 1974, uh, oh, they're, they're, sorry, yeah, for a little while in the 18th century, up to the uh, 20th, actually, they're held in the uh, Basilica. Uh, de San Sinin in Toulouse, and then the, in 74 they they returned to the Church of the Jacobins. And when he's canonized, his, his feast day is inserted into the, the general Roman calendar uh, on, on the 7th of March, uh, which is the, mm-hmm. the actual day of his death. Um, so he's not a saint that's, 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 his feast isn't his death day, but apparently since this falls like within Lent uh, by, by V2's 1969 revision, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, that his memorial has moved to the, the 20th of January. He's also honored in some churches of the Anglican Communion, apparently with a, a lesser festival on the, the 28th. Oh, and then that, that final thing about his canonization as well, that um, uh, I maybe didn't realize that devil's advocate is like an official like position um, and not just like yes. a, a phrase. That's really cool. Yeah, the devil's avocado is uh, canonization. The, the from... devil's avocado? Yeah, Sorry, yeah, 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 that's great. <laughs> yes. He's, um, he's, 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 he's only edible for like, you know, a fraction of a, a, of a moment. Uh, and then he becomes too mushy. Uh, he objects. Uh, uh, there's, there's an argument that like he shouldn't be canonized because he hasn't made miracles. And apparently, one of his cardinals responds that you know there are as many miracles in his life as articles in his summa, which is yeah. like that's how highly regarded his writing is. Yeah, is. I mean, it was it was 50 years after his death, which for that time period is is pretty quick yeah. for someone that a lot of people knew. Like mm. usually, you have a better chance of making it if no one knows you and they can just attribute miracles to you. But uh, he was also said to be miraculous in this is that he levitated. He levitated while studying. He levitated oh, while praying. And uh, he was said to levitate in ecstasy repeatedly. People would walk in on him and see him. And he would just like slowly come back down and be like, you didn't see anything. Now, is that like a description for the ecstasy he feels when like thinking and because and, 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 that's been told too. But um, I think there's something beautiful to the, you know, the, the scholar, the, the philosopher, Dr. Five. If you yeah. want to, you know, he's the fifth, you named the fifth doctor um, <laughs> of the church. I think uh, I'm going to have to Davison, actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's, and I also love there's the connection to uh, uh, that one church that's an Isium, uh, Maria Sopra Minerva uh, in, in Rome, which has a lot of famous relics in it, but it's, um, it's a Dominican church now. And we brought it up before for some say because there's relics there. But that is uh, uh, in Rome uh, was eventually he taught there for a bit because it was had just been given to, to the Dominicans. But also later on in time, it became the headquarters of the the Thomas Aquinas College that was established um, a couple hundred years after his death. So there's I love the that this church or this place that was held to be the college of of Thomas Aquinas 
um, is also itself a translation of ancient sites, as many churches are. But this one is famous, famously like the seat of Isis, of, Is, of Isis worship, and uh, was mistakenly felt to be Minerva, but it was not. Uh, mm-hmm. and, like full on obelisks and things, and going there. This site is incredibly sacred. There is a Serapium there as well. Um, so Isis and Serapis being brought back uh, by Roman soldiers and then going up. But again, the the irony that his college must be housed in a place that is also itself a translation um, <laughs> and, uh, is 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 quite beautiful. And there's also a lot of uh, now the church add-ons that were done in the 15, mid 15th uh, century is mm-hmm. Torquemada. Uh, so we're talking like huge center of Inquisition. So uh, there's there's a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. at, this, at this church. So I guess Aquinas is interesting in that, in that it is, it's, we're talking about the, what is he prayed for, uh, prayed to for? Mm-hmm. Um, he's the patron of academics. Uh, yes, against storms and lightning and this type of thing, but like he's the patron of academies, schools, universities, chastity, right. yes, or keeping sticking to your guns, your goals very strongly. But all scholars, students, philosophers, theologians are under his patronage. Mm-hmm. And of course, patronage is not an official thing. It is listed in many books, but the saint himself can be going to for any petition. It's just that when you do your dial a saint type of um, Catholicism, uh, which is very Roman inheritance, right? Of like, well, what do I need to do? Well, I need to go to this saint to make sure I get the plow in shape. I go to this saint to make sure the windows are still sliding. But also from the worker perspective, I always, I find it fascinating of what would it be to go to this saint for everything? What does, yeah. a, what does an Aquinian marriage look like? What does an Aquinian like, uh, please don't let me go bankrupt look like? How, how does this saint, if there's this tapping into this current, how would this saint be like academically talking to you? Like in response, would this saint like deliver a letter explaining why he could not help you? I, I think about these things far, far more than I should. Um, because this, this, this is a, a thing we've talked about the theme many times in folk magic is, you know, knowing the, the local patron saint of your town is helpful. Um, right. that, you know, you don't just ignore, uh, there's the personal cult of the home for sure. You have family saints, name saints, things like this. Some things that you just feel an affinity for and you gather uh, a, a worship for, a reverence for, ven- uh, veneration, venereal. Um, why aren't those the same thing? But that if this saint is the patron saint of your town, then, then you would be going to this saint for everything. This is who would be uh, assisting with the intercessions at Mass, um, yeah. as well as the saint of the day, which I, I do enjoy that kind of Catholic notion, which I think sets us up uh, very strongly in uh, magical thinking in general, when the magical circles have uh, seasonal names or time of the day names that must be altered uh, ah, or, yeah, yeah, or that type of thing. Of, um, because in addition to a patron saint of a, of a church, then this patron saint of the day is also being invoked through mass as well as someone's funeral is being said. So they might invoke that person's name saint or the saint that that's the similar to their name and ask all of those things are intersecting um, in this time space prayer that is specific to that moment. And wholly specific to that moment, which I think is quite beautiful in the intense, uh, coded circles of, of the Heptameron and other schools. But just the idea of the same magical circle does not suffice all the time. It, right. It it's, does not. It's boots on the ground, right? Like what's present at the moment? Like what, what planet is ruling the day? What, what, uh, uh, what, what's, uh, what saints, uh, uh, miraculous, uh, life from the golden legend is being read that week at church. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You, 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 again, 
having to engage with the world in doing this kind of even you know even these very um pious magics right there there is a there is a world out there it's not just it's not just you and and and, and a spirit or some spirits or you and god there's 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 there's, there's a whole mess of 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 things to to traipse through and to to wait for the right wave on i also think it's worth pointing out that uh as i stare at my dante and beatrice bookends that i just bought um that he's in the divine comedy oh yes yes uh he's in the heaven of the sun with and and that's not unique to him like many other religious elders are in the heaven of the sun yeah but the glorified soul is is there and i think that that's a lovely uh understanding of the role of priests as being solar um Mm. and philosophers as shining light onto things uh, but also a unique solar connection for Thomas Aquinas, perhaps, uh, mm-hmm. to like, I like, I like when literature or, or, or anything, a, a contemporaneous clue as to what a planetary description might be. Cause in, 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 in kind of focusing recently and looking a lot at, at correspondences and things as, you know, articles and things need to be written. Our notions of things change. And I find it very interesting when people like the, random thing of like bringing how hyena can be used for any planet because it can be justified to any planet but we know that the hyena doesn't change its sex anymore we know that the females just have a large clitoral proboscis that looks like a penis um but that is the reason that it was mercurial was because it changed sexes um and yet do we still use hyena for mercury then or Mm -hmm. like do we put ourselves in the 14th century framework and think well it was used once so it can be used again or does that invoke the glorious dead that we are inviting to our consecration to be like, exactly. I use hyena, right. see? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah thought yeah. this was real. I don't believe in it, but you do. And I want it here for that reason. Right. Or is it just like, you know, I, I don't want to use it because it's no longer makes sense to me. And I'm going to use, you know, a piece of rock that actually is from the planet Mercury that I spent, you know, $900 on on, on eBay. Um, right. And that is what I use instead. Like, I wonder for me that 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 list of justifications or or anything what is this because it is wonderful compartmentalization when you go into like depth of not only the authors but like reddit and um, yeah. yahoo groups archives and things they're like well, how we can justify anything well um, i also i also can't I'd like that's also not like you know just a a, a modern um you know arrogance or or or, or delight it's no. like no, I no, can't no, no. imagine that like Israel Heibner, you know, writing at the end of the 17th century, doing an awful lot of, on the one hand, very much that like, you know, Baconian uh, astrology, Asana, uh, you know, uh, sane astrology, sensible astrology, none of this superstitious stuff, but is, is, is attempt, you know, is, is super into building really accurate stop, uh, 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 stopwatches and clocks so that he can make more precise uh, astrological sigils, right? Uh, uh, and, and he's he's literally folding in um, uh, cutting edge uh, telemetry of like from selenographia of like the most accurate uh, uh, lenses ground to get the 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 topologies of like the moon and and the planets. He's using images of the physical planets in in, in like deep sky objects uh, in his you know talismans that also have the cameo of, of, uh, of the moon on the other side. Right. Like I can't imagine Israel Heibner, if he could get hold of moon rock, wouldn't be using it. Well, absolutely. <laughs> um, even if you just said it was moon rock, uh, it, it, if we can convince him that the rock, the moon is made of rock. What is it? He, he hit his head on a tree and, uh, this kind of revived, uh, an ongoing illness that he had, uh, Thomas specifically, hmm. um, and re- escorted to, uh, Monte Casino 
to come molest. And like many patients, he was a bad patient, supposedly. Um, he, he just would get up and go again and be like, sit, you need to rest. And he's like, no, 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 I got to do that things. He'd already had his reputation kind of damaged for quite some time. Mm. Um, uh, or, 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 or at least it was starting more and more. And it, it was still, um, after his death where his heaviest critics, like they waited till after he was dead, like, because he, they knew that he could counter everything that they said more than likely, which is always fascinating. And that'll remind me of something I'll say in a minute. But uh, so he goes and the, they they nurse him. He goes out to he stops in another abbey, and he falls ill there. Like he he's just not doing well. And the the monks and he's only in his late forties. Um, and the monks nurse him for several days. And after he received last rites, um, he prayed. I've written and taught much about this very holy body and all the other sacraments in the faith of Christ and about the Holy Roman Church, to whose correction I expose and submit everything I have written. So basically, he he dedicated his life to the church and said the church owns me um the faith owns me and you know it, it feels a little bit like you know when he says to his correction i expose and submit everything i have written is uh, if there's error because it's starting to come up that people are finding error with his writing mm-hmm. that um he leaves it for the church to correct and that he you know this is i will not die in contempt of the church type of thing yeah uh, which is apparently was uh, in a lovely catholic kind of nailed down the throat here. And I have heard an Anglican say that this is one of the discussions as to why Thomas Aquinas can't be too major is because part of our apocrypha as Catholics, right, is the Song of Songs. And this is uh, what Thomas Aquinas died giving commentary on. He was quoting from and expounding upon the beauty of the Song of Songs um, or the Song of Solomon. So this is, you know, a beautiful piece, but it's also an ecstatic, somewhat sexual uh, piece as well. So, uh, Josinho de Gomea was, uh, a Brazilian who, uh, rose to prominence and was kind of called one of like, you know how they named people king of witches. He was one of the kings of Bumble in the seventies. And, uh, he got initiated in two different streams. He was first made in a kind of, we say Kandomle Angola, but it's really more like, uh, it was just, it was infused with spiritism across the board. So it wasn't just focusing on the Inquisi, it was focusing on spirits, you know, what would be called as well as Caboclos and things like that. So it was like a heavy Umbanda, but very ritualized and still very African. And then he came and got initiated in Candomblé Ketu as well, which is more Yoruba-based and rose to prominence. He was also one of the people who started certain traditions. Like at that time, men did not dress as uh, when, even if they had a female Orisha, Possessing them, they did not dress as a woman when the Orisha came down. And because Josinho was gay, he had no problem with this. And he mounted both uh, the equivalent, I, I believe, oh, I can't, I, I'll say this. I don't remember which which belongs to which nation, but he mounted both an Oshosi or like deity and an Oya like deity. One might be from, one, one might have been a Kisi, one might have been Orisha. But he mounted those two prominently. And when his Oya, I'm not sure, came down, they would dress him fully as her. And mm. this got him a lot of flack. Um, but he was loved by the people that talked to him because he was just, he accepted everything. It wasn't just strict Teresa. It was like, oh, you have this spirit, then how do we help you develop it? How do we keep this thing going? And uh, heavily critiqued in his life, but he would always fire back. He was a little bit sassy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there was some controversy, yes, upon his death about who the Tejero goes to because this is always a problem. But right. one of his primary students um, they, someone launched a big thing and, you know, name called and stuff. And she's like, 
shut your mouths. None of you dared come for him when he was alive. None of you did. Hmm. So you have no ability to come for him now. Your words mean nothing. Yeah. And I, and she's respected, but I, I find that interesting of like, what is it like, right? When the, it's not the vultures coming out. It's like they're, it's the, the, the body's cold and in the ground. And now you're going to critique. I never liked them anyway. Okay. Right. You can say that when you're alive, like really, really, what is it? You were so like, you liked him when he was alive. You were at every feast he was at. And yeah. now, so it's, I, it, it has, it's not the prophet in their own house, but it is something like that, right? Of, mm. of, you know, the, my house and my food are good for you when I'm alive. But afterwards you tell everyone that I hate, you hated me. Interesting. Right. Right. It's a very uncharitable attitude, right? As opposed to this, this notion of like, if, if you are, if, if the dialectic is truly about arguing towards a greater truth, then, then surely you should have raised these issues at the time, you know, uh, if they were yeah. realistic and weren't just about your positioning yourself. Right. Absolutely. If it wasn't about ego, it would be something different. Uh, but the fact that you're um, um, say that until he's gone. Yeah. Interesting. On, a, on the only other like lesser sub, you know, side, side Odisha note is that it was interestingly given as one of the saints for one of the, um, avatars of Babalue known as Dasoyi, who is an elder or father of that Babalue nation, uh, in Cuba. And I find that fascinating because no one knows why those subscriptions are made sometimes. But as a as a doctor of the church, it's like does someone just misinterpret doctor here? I'm confused. But yeah, <laughs> so who knows? Uh, and doctor, of course, does mean different things in different areas, right? Like doctor has a connotation of being the the fix it, not just the the healer. Yeah, but like you know. So I uh, Aquinas is always an interesting one, and you know is up there with with Augustine and uh, other church doctors. I mean, like as I said, doctor number five much to the chagrin of, of the other doctor flowers. Well, great. I think uh, that's pretty, that's pretty comprehensive for, for the problem was, is he was very broad. Like there's so much more you can talk about with him and you can quote uh, right. all day long. Um, but uh, thank you. Uh, that was lovely too, to, to pitter patter off of each other. I Absolutely. think um, taking that theme of lust from the, because it, it, I almost want to bring up them, but I didn't want to sidetrack myself too much of mm-hmm. sending a prostitute is, in an act of aggression to t- tempt your brother away from the priesthood. It's not such a weird thing because not that, but like, <laughs> yeah, like it, it's such an interesting idea to it. It's, it's, it's aggressive. It is an act of quote unquote war because you're using a strategy, right? To try and do this thing and then using sexuality and trying to tempt him in that way. Mm-hmm. And it, it speaks to our, our demon, mm-hmm. I, um, in in lovely multiplicities of ways, and I think it's fascinating to pair Aquinas with Astaroth, um, mm-hmm. because they're, they're, Astaroth is very well known for being very philosophical uh, mm-hmm. in there, in and and as well as being, if we're going to talk about the translation of pagan things to Christian things, mm-hmm. and the Isium to you know uh, Maria Sopra Minerva. And Aquinas taking pagan the- theology and mm. translating it to Christian theology to mm. translate what is believed to be Astarte into Astaroth as a demon is also s- such a, a hotbed of not controversy, but dialogue and uh, continued dialogue since yes. it has been more easy to talk publicly about demons, which I don't know what that time period is, but the internet certainly helped. Right, 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 right. From, 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 from one 
uh, uh, spilling of, of of much much ink on 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 philosophy and theology to yeah to 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 a counterpart in in, in demonological circles yeah because it's 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 the go to example on the one hand of arguing that certain uh, uh, not just demonic spirits but spirits that have been demonized right have yes. been uh, have been denigrated have been blackened the gods of the old become the demons of the new philosophy yes yes it's, it's which is a little oversimplistic and we talk about that too. Absolutely. It's a little oversimplistic, but this go on. This is a prime example of such possibility. But yeah, this is this is this is the uh, main, I would say, maybe only <laughs> example that's usually cited. It's not the I, I wouldn't say it's the only example that exists, but we're pretty sure that Ashtoreth uh, uh, is a, a, a strange uh, uh, and 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 possibly deliberately uh, uh, derogatory uh framing of the preeminent goddess mentioned in the bible the 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 canaanite goddess uh, uh, uh of, of, of ashtoreth supposedly based off the second millennium uh, bc phoenician goddess astarte uh, and apparently the deliberate corruption the, the corruption might be deliberate uh astarte or astoreth uh is meant to supposedly conform to a vocalization of uh of of, of the word bullshit of of shame right there's a shame bell being uh being rung around astarte to form uh, Ashtoreth. Uh, and of course, the plural, uh, the, the Hebrew plural, Ashtoreth, uh, is a generic term for goddesses, uh, used often with, um, like, lord and lords, as in Baal yes. and like them. Yeah. Like a term. Exactly. So see, you see that? Yeah, I went through some of the, some of the Bibli examples. You see it in Judges, uh, in the, in the second chapter when they talk about Baal and Ashtoreth. Uh, you see it in the first book of Samuel as well, where they talk about strange gods and Ashtoreth and, uh, and later Baalim and, Ash, uh, and Ashtoreth. So you get the sense of, goddesses becoming demon as well as a single um and then we 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 zoom forward to to the start of the kind of bits of of grimoric record at least by its own account the book of abramelin purportedly written around the 1450s we have astaroth as a male demon um and an important one uh, 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 a uh, uh, one of the the main four uh, at that point so from there uh, we, we get some pretty typical examples of 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 uh uh, the you know Vea's entry in the pseudo monarchia demonorum that uh, that Scott um, uh, mostly uh, recapitulates in Discovery of Witchcraft that we then eventually get to the Lamegaton, which is one of the the better examples, but uh, uh, also worth pointing out just how important Astaroth is within demonic hierarchies, whether it's the the classic triumvirate of Hell's rulers with Lucifer and and Belzebub or Belzebub as the great Duke of of, of Hell, and we get the Grimoire Verum and the and the the Grand Grimoire talking about that. Um, I've got some points about uh, earlier manuscript forms of, from the Verum family about uh, when uh, when Astaroth isn't Astaroth, but is, but isn't, but is, uh, as well as uh, uh, important demon of the week in the uh, Grimoire of Pope Honorius, as well as one of the cardinal ruling demons in the Higromantia, right, which is also one of the like earliest, like literally and also figuratively Byzantine texts that makes its way into uh, probably Italy and then to the, 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 the wider uh, sense. Uh, yeah, I got, I got a bunch of stuff we can talk about with Astaroth. Absolutely. I look, Astaroth is one of the demons that I remember, not only just from early Biblet, um, and, and being precocious Catholic child, um, and wondering what this was, because I remember watching like those direct DV, direct DV, direct to VHS. I'm old, um, <laughs> videos in, 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 in Catholic school that were like showing the the worship of of Bali of Baal and 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 the many Astaroth that were there they were always shaped like an Inanna figure you know that was or a, or 
um, curious to see like a Venus of Willendorf in some of those movies of just like the mm. deplority of the, of the female body. But also a couple of things, because I remember Astra or Astra, the sorcerer <laughs> of, you know, when we're talking about the wonderful magic for substitutionary locomotion and Traguna McCoy's Trigorum Satis D from uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Yes. So the, that is, that is the star of Astra. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, you know, God bless Miss Eglantine Price, um, or, or the devil bless her, you know, whatever it is. Um, but <laughs> I, it, it's a, it's a, Astaroth seems to find ways into popular culture more yes. than many other demons. And I think also of the, uh, I know that there's, there's many examples from, from pop culture, you know, it, it's, uh, whether it's Piwak or it's the devil of daughter. Or, or, um, oh, uh, blood ties and things like, yeah. It, and, and there's also just the, uh, uh, what is it? Black Widow song, Come to the Sabbath. And that whole album has Asheroth things, but like, yeah, um, <laughs> come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath. Satan's there. Then they invoke it. And it gets so scary after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. That whole album is fantastic. Even on that album, while it's talking about Satan and the devil. There's this conflation because of the time period that when that album was made of, of understanding this kind of reemergence of, uh, or reinvention of, or all of those things of paganism and witchcraft post Gardnerian influence of, um, understanding that there's uh, love, sex, death are common themes and, and this notion of Ashtaroth or Astarte being more Venusian. Um, mm-hmm. and perhaps giving rise to the cult of Aphrodite itself and merging the Cypriot goddess, but mm-hmm. then also the, and the adoption, therefore, of, the, of a lineage to Venus, which gets, you know, more female deities of, of love and flow, the flow of the blood, the flow of semen, the flow of milk, the flow of sweat, all those things that happen that, that make a saltwater goddess suddenly become, you know, the deity of, of, of that everybody wants to fall in love with or is in love with by their nature, thinking even there to, um, I don't know if I can think about Venus without thinking about Baron Munchausen uh, and Uma Thurman, but uh, also the the discussion about Inanna and her possible synchronization with Astarte, which many people now argue like is not actually as sound in the sense that yes, they were synchronized, but Inanna is more war than she right. is sex, and Astarte becomes more sex than she is war, and somewhere in the middle there lies a, a conglomerate that infuses. Um, with the overlay of demonization of and the shame that goes with, um, see what I did there of love and mm-hmm. sex, uh, uh, going on there, um, mm-hmm. uh, to, to form this modern idea of Astaroth is fascinating. And also the eternal debate. And I say eternal because it's, it's not one that I don't think anyone that I know that tells me certainly that Astaroth is male or, or they're female. I don't believe. And it's mm-hmm. not that I, and it's not that I've experienced all sides of, of any demon or like, I'm not saying that my experiences or trusted friends experiences are the only ones. This demon seems to like playing on all sides of the gender spectrum. Um, and, uh, very happily to the point of, I, I think, you know, although we're talking astroth, that in, in the, Equivalencies or the, the demonic synchronizations with Kimbanda. Uh, this is given to play the Sechen Kuzayalis. So the king of the seven crossroads. However, Astarte is given to Rainia the Sechen Kuzayalis, to the queen of the seven crossroads. And there is an argument that they're really talking about the same thing, right? By the time we're talking about Astra, 
versus Astarte because they syncretize whoever did the demonic list for the Pumbajinas tends to incorporate more female pagan deities than they do demons. And right. that might be the fact that all demons are considered male by many of the classic demonologists, mm-hmm. um, unless you're in France, uh, apparently. So I find that fascinating. I also find the interchangeability and the office of the king and queen of the crossroads as being a set pair, um, a polarized pair where the queen is in fact much more like what we would think of, of a warrior king. Um, and the king is much more passive and observant in his personality. Very, very, uh, both amazing spirits, but also their temperaments don't match their um, gender assignments in Kimbanda as as well as many other things because this idea of male active, aggressive, and female seductive um, and not passive in any way, but just a difference between aggression versus seduction or sensuality uh, that is there in the older pair of polarizations. As well as in reading up of, of realizing, of course, of course, of course, that it's in the uh, Dictionary Channel so that's Plancy, right? Um, Plancy. Yeah, so Plancy. Um, I'm from the Midwest today. Um, Ashtaroth is depicted as a nude man with feathered wings wearing a crown, holding a serpent in one hand and riding a beast with dragon-like wings and a serpent-like tail. Now, yes, that's very similar to the kind of, uh, in fact, it's the basis of the of the, the wood, not woodcut, but illustrations that we see that are popularized and are lovely. But it's not so much the illustration that gets me, but that description and then looking at statues of the King of the Seven Crossroads from the 60s onward of him being a, a very uh, uh, stately man. He's not overly muscular like some issues are. He's more tall and slender, but he has dragon-like wings and he has a serpent tail, notably that comes onto his leg from behind. Wow. And he holds a cup and a serpent. Right. Um, and, or he holds at least a serpent. Like It's just interesting. Or the cup with the serpent going around it which is both a symbol for poison and for antidote, right? So it's an in- interesting uh, conflation there that this description somehow obviously influenced some artist to, to, to make what became one of the standard images. And because, this, because of the King of Seven Crossroads being conflated with this demon, which is one of the big three, Grand Grimoire, you know, uh, Grimoire and Varenwise, and therefore becomes like the red current in Kimbanda that is, but the queen, yeah, the queen kind of exchange, depending on lineage, they both of them can head that that whole idea of crossroads, um, and I, I just love that this description. I was like, that's just describing the Eshu statue right there. Somebody was <laughs> obviously looking at this description. Um, yeah, and the pseudo monarchia demonorum. Yeah, he cometh forth yeah. in the shape of a foul angel sitting upon an infernal dragon and carrying in his right hand a viper. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And then, and then, or wearing a crown, and the statue, like, not very few entries are depicted in a crown. She of the mm-hmm. seven crossroads is, is almost always now especially when you go into uh, Image in the Bahia and Rises uh, uh, Africanas, which are two of the main statue companies, depict him with a crown, um, mm. sometimes with wings, sometimes without, but the serpent tail will come into play. Um, and it's, it's fascinating, especially on the windows, those that you see in like some of the old temples in, um, in Rio that are like three and four foot tall. But you're like, is that another, why, why is everybody have wings? No, but a lot of them have wings. And that just picture of a serpent tail coming around, does he have goat feet or not? Those subtleties determine what those statues looked like when they were made, which came first eventually until you realize, like, okay, you know, those statues were made at post synchronization with demons, post creation of, of, and I hate to say it this way, but the post the creation of what we would call Kimbanda now, because the roots go far further back than that, of course. Um, but as far as the recognition, recognition of being, you know, a left hand expression of these things codified onto Umbanda and dividing everything into like, you know, the spirit, neat spiritism package and the, the, 
the demonic practices coming in there. Um, of course, these roots are, are far older, but it, what we know is still a 20th century like um, bottleneck of influences mm-hmm. coming together mm-hmm. that they again projected forward. And now through the advent of the internet and pop, you know, popularization and commerce, that it's also now unbraiding and people are choosing different streams from that to choose and be like, no, 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 I like to do it like this. And my, we've always done it like this and we do it like, okay, sure. Um, you know, the same thing as do with the way you were taught, transmit what you were taught and also allow for personal innovation. Yeah. That said, it's all very seductive and all very warlike. Yeah. Uh, Astaroth. Um, right. Yes. <laughs> Around the, 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 I don't want to say switching, but the fluidity between male and female. And also the fact that like, it's, it's, you know, the, the Sejin Christiadis, like, I, I, I find it fascinating that, uh, Astroth is, is, is placed as the chief demon of Wednesday in, uh, in the, uh, Grimoire of Pope Honorius, um, the, the day, huh. the Adams. The, well, the, why not both? That the circle is, is a big old, like, uh, mercurial glyph, right? Uh, uh, which, you know, a lot of, uh, alchemy influence is going to talk about the rebus and the, uh, you know, the balancing or the, uh, uh, the transmogrification of the, uh, of the hermaphrodite and things like that. Um, so that's, that's uh, along with, you know, um, Mercury and it's, uh, it, you know, and, and Hermes in his far darting nature, um, you know, covering where two roads meet each other, where two or more roads meet each other. I find that super fascinating. The other angle I was going to uh, uh, mention is just how uh, American Astaroth is as well, uh, which again, if we're talking about like quote New World, uh, is 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 really interesting to me. And looking at this, seeing how it's phrased differently, uh, we sometimes uh, look to family of, of of manuscript of of the things that will become the Grimorian Verum and find this um, division of the the triumvirate of hell of of of, of the LBA of Lucifer, Belzebuth, and Astaroth as. Um, dividing not just hell but the, but the earth itself that said the inferiors of lucifer in europe uh and asia and obey him belzebuth lives in africa and astaroth inhabits america right so so we've the account of astaroth oh, sorry that was a dumb laugh <laughs> it was just exciting we have astaroth inhabiting america we also have the idea that astaroth's servants uh are, are in america uh the grimoire uh, uh the of pope honorius uh, refers to Astaroth as a count and that his subjects dwell in the Americas, right? We also have the, 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 the older notion in the Higromantia that, that, that Astaroth is just, um, the, the ruler of the West of the four who have the first thrones among demons come from the four parts of the world. So, uh, the West itself being, you know, from, from, from the old world, these, these Americas again. When we start to look at earlier manuscripts of, uh, of, of, of the Verum of like, um, uh, Clavicula Solomon's Deceitless and even some earlier, uh, like 4667, for instance, we have a slightly different name for a start, which is, again, most of those earlier manuscripts don't have Astroth. They have Elestor, uh, in one case it's Clestor, but I think we can be pretty clear that's probably a typo who has that, uh, very phallic sigil, uh, that we were, uh, looking at the other day, which incidentally also contains glyphs of, uh, expressing again, like, uh, uh typically feminized and typically masculinated. Uh, moon and Mars, um, but the longer description of Alestor gives way more about America, um, along with this like bizarre uh, chimeric description uh, of, of 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 their uh, their nose that is like um, uh, two yards long and is like wrapped around them their belly like a belt. That uh, he kills many Americans when he hits with it 
or he does not kill them, they are knocked down dying. Uh, and it said just a little bit afterwards in in, in the Gluigi uh, uh, Solomonis de Secretis that uh, if you forget to give sacrifice, it, you, your work will be ineffectual. And in America, Alestor could nearly overwhelm you with his blows. So there's this 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 sense here that uh, uh, this this spirit, which is almost certainly either uh, uh, a different uh, name, an earlier name, uh, not in 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 terms of how I frame this, whether or not we are dealing with. A, 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 a principal demon who is usurped by Astaroth, or if it's one of Astaroth's aliases, um, we have this idea that they're, they're very present in the Americas in various ways, um, which I, I, I find really, really fascinating um, that you're dividing up the, the, the world and, and a sense of like, you know, having spoken to a, a couple practitioners who, you know, uh, are from Europe and, and so mostly work with Lucifer moving to the states and, and, and working with Astaroth more in that in that model is fascinating to me. The only other thing I wanted to mention about that kind of stuff was the connection not only to crossroads and to a, a male female fluidity is also the concept of rulership, of uh, sovereignty, of uh, the matters of kings and lords. Because the, mm. the main thing that say Verum uh, says about Astaroth becomes very very um, terse. Astaroth appears black in human shape. Honorius says of him that he gives favor of kings and lords. We know the operation on, on Wednesday uh, 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 to, to talk to Astaroth should be performed at a particular time between 10 and 11 o'clock at night. Uh, and it's done in order to obtain the good grace of kings, princes, and other powerful men of the earth. Uh, and it's also said that if you want to do this, you should also give the spirit a pile of gold. Uh, and I'm like, if you have a pile of gold, uh, why do you think I'm summoning you? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and then the king appears in the guise of a, uh, the, the spirit appears in the guise of a king. And in some other versions of that, it also specifies emperors, which I find interesting. And in that's the that's also the title that Lucifer is given most commonly uh, in these, mm -hmm. these demonologies. And so there's this this sense that Astroth is also about or not just the 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 the, the changing at the at the crossroads, but the authority to to stand there and and pick a path and block others and and all that you know wonderful wonderful stuff. <laughs> Astaroth is also one of the co-signers with uh, Gandhier. Yes. And the pact, yes, 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 the famous yes. pact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the nuns of Ludon, uh, the possession case. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Astaroth is mentioned as a, a co-signatory. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Along with... And, and Aaron Ferris. Similarly, uh, in Marlowe's Faustus, which is far more boring than Goethe's. Uh, Goethe's is wonderful. Right. Um, but Marlowe Marlo tried uh, but he is uh, he is one of the three demons summoned by Faustus in 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 Marlowe's Faust. Yeah, yeah, um, they, they go and attack Benvolio, right? Yeah, I also the you you remember um, uh, Ashtar or Ashtar Shiran? Mm -hmm. Okay, so <laughs> there was a UFO contactee George Van Tassel wow. in 1952 who started channeling Lord Ashtar who was an extraterrestrial being or group of beings that many people now have channeled. And this is all in my homeland of California, uh, in the Mojave Desert. I'm not from the Mojave Desert, but, but this is where this took place. And it, it, it actually, uh, there was a whole center there in the Mojave Desert, but uh, he, he claimed to receive tele telepathic communication from an extraterrestrial interdimensional being named Ashtar. Um, this became the first 
quote, metaphysical superstar of the flying saucer age. And there's, he, he, you know, he did his own kind of um, translation, Ben Tassel, of like converting the Christian Bible to understand as an understanding of extraterrestrial intervention. Um, and there's a lot of things going there. But what often happens, I would I directly compare it to kind of the the thing that happened between Gardnerian and Alexandrian Wicca that like Gardnerian, Gardnerian um, which is a term given by Bowers, right? But still the Gardnerians have this uh, pseudo historical myth, uh, well, big emphasis on the pseudo historical of uh, it being a contiguous fertility Murray is kind of fulfilling the prophecies of Murray. Um, uh, but that that allows Alexanders to plagiarize a Gardnerian book of shadows and say that his grandmother initiated him through sexual magic at the age of 12. Uh, when the Gardnerian Book of Shadows had not been compiled yet, but because of the myth, the public face, you mm. can't contest it. Mm. So uh, I I find that a, a fascinating foray into understanding how tropes and how memes take off, right? Things can take off very quickly. And once you put it out there, you don't know what people are going to do with it. When you write a book or an essay or a post, it, it has a life of its own now. <laughs> you yeah, can I mean, tend to it and kind of corral it, but it's it's not under your control. It's now it's now in the mythic and, and other people yes. can in various ways and, and articulate it and rearticulate it in various ways. Yeah. But it also has a has a, a like it's specifically like Ash Darkamand has this interesting like mm, historic reflection on the historicity in terms of like uh, both Estate and, and Inanna being, you know, uh, 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 worshipped in relation to the evening star. Right. So, again, we get this notion yep. of like, things in the sky. Mm-hmm. And then uh, so what happens is, you know, he gets popularized. He's channeling these messages and establishes a channeling center to talk to Ashtar command. And there are other people getting messages from Ashtar now. And he doesn't like that other people are getting messages from Ashtar. He won't validate them. So <laughs> other people broke away, break away, and you know, the the you know, form a, a splinter group, which is actually what gets called Ashtar Command. But um it went from being this 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 whole concept um to uh the with the splinter group. But it it is quite interesting that there is you know, all the way up through the nineties and this kind of new age, uh, spiritist gloss over it. And also it's something, you know, big to speak on that is subject of, of many of our friends research areas of the overlap between what would be called the Fae and aliens and stars and all of these things, which gets controversial in a, in a, in the kind of, um, nostalgic magical community because they don't want to conflate sci-fi with, with what they're doing. And in the argument, and it's uh, admittedly a, a very difficult like mind journey to go from like, oh, the way our ancestors practiced, they were always aliens, and like some some of them argue like the Jacques Vallée thing, like they're all the same thing. They're all others that we can't see, and they're worth studying um, and seeing how these things interact. But when I first heard about Lord Ashtar, I was like, this is a little like this, 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 a prominent being that's like manipulating a bunch of people into forming a new religion around them, and they mm-hmm. kind of become the rock star of this movement. Uh, this feels wonderfully Ashtarothian. Mm-hmm. So uh, go Ashtar. There's, there's a, a, a final angle on, well, not final necessarily, but there's another angle on um, the serpentine and like draconic kind of stuff going on with, with, with uh, earlier uh, representations of the, of the, the form uh, Ashtaroth cometh forth in uh, and, and, and you know, his, his, his holding and things like that, which is, um, uh, I, I think is, is, is attributed back to uh, Sebastian Michaelis, um, who's the uh-huh. inquisitor in Avignon during the the 1580s, uh, and he 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 does a lot of classification uh, uh, of demonology stuff, and um, 
uh, one of the, there the, 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 the are two things that they, they say about um, Astroth that I found interesting. The first, the, the, the Serpentine thing, is that uh, uh, Michaelis assigns St. Bartholomew as especially effective at restraining uh, the demon Astaroth. Uh, Excellent. The, uh, right. The saint that sheds his skin or, or is, is flayed, you know, is carrying his skin, uh, is said to be particularly good at, uh, at dealing with uh, this, this also quite serpentine uh, 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 you know, very, very powerful demon. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I know many folks, uh, uh, love, uh, Bart as a, as a witching saint as well. Or fear Bart as a witching saint. <laughs> right. right. The other, the other, the other wider thing is that, um, uh, Michaelis, uh, assigns Astroth as a demon of the first hierarchy who seduces, uh, but specifically seduces by means of laziness, self-doubt and rationalized philosophies. Uh, which, yeah. which no demonologist has ever been prey to. Uh, not, not ever, not one. You're reminding me about uh, how you're saying Ashraf is assigned to America, you know, that Astarte is often assigned to Europe um, and, and kind of becomes like a, a, a Europa figure mm-hmm. um, and riding the bull and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, it's, it's something interesting. I know that uh, another fascination for me as far as icons, uh, if, if you're not familiar with the Dama de Elche, the Spanish figure, um, that was unearthed, uh, not too long ago, but, and, and was felt to be a, a forgery at first because it was just, they didn't understand what it was. Uh, but it's, um, a female bust that has large wheels, uh, ornaments on the side of her head with, with beautifully ornamented hair with beads. It's a beautiful sculpture. I mean, it was discovered right at the turn of the last century. So like in late, late 1890s. Um, and, uh, maybe fourth century BC, Iberian, so mainland Spain. Um, and the, what we're dealing with there is interesting because they're trying to understand who this is, what this figure is. And there's other figures that are, are similar where these, these giant wheels on the side of the woman's head, which are ornaments that are popular from Northern Africa. And Mm. specifically we're dealing with the cult of Astarte and Tanit. So Tanit is the, the, the city goddess of Carthage. Who's oh, almost always worshipped alongside Astarte, hmm. and so there's this kind of double Venusian influence going on here. Um, you know, the you have the Lady of Guadalajara and the Lady of Bassa, which are also wheel bearing ladies in that way. I also saw an interesting um, couple of interesting things with her. There was a whole resurgence in the last few years because they went in and analyzed the trace amounts of color that were left on the statue, so they're able to like show how brightly garishly colored marble statues were which is lovely when you can do that just like the greek the met was doing something similar showing you what statues were painted like through projection through lights um you know that we associate things with this pristine marble but it's it was they were painted heavily and uh similarly also in there's at least two or three uh drawings less illustration uh, full size where they kind of use the dama de elche as a hecate um, because those wheels kind of give a natural thing of sh- just being able to draw another face on the side of it. But this mm. kind of ornate, kind of, kind of orientalized, truthfully, it's, it's an, it's an orientalist approach of just like, it looks other. And because it can't be placed, therefore mm. it, it's, it's appropriate for something like trying to, uh, rewild Hecate. Mm. Because I do think that that's been part of the, the kind of Hecate revi- revival of, since, since the late seventies, early eighties onward of constantly trying to, um, de-anglo uh, the Greek gods and not make them just as pristine things in, in, in marble togas, but to understand that like Greece is oriental to Rome 
and was compelled to be a savage version. They were savage. Um, they were barbarians compared to the Romans. Um, and especially the, the, the Asia Minor Greeks, you know, that's a whole other, a whole other thing. Yeah. Go- goddesses and demonized goddesses and, and, and deified uh, demonic, uh, uh, ladies of the night, uh, who yeah. are in their essence regarded as, as even, even to the Greeks regarded as like foreign, right? Uh, yeah. the festering one and all that business, right? Yeah. 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 And of course, bringing it back to Hecate, who is another one who is by some authors associated with this Astra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's all, it's all whatever it is you want it to be, which I both stand by and abhor that I said that. So the, 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 from, from this, like, often literally blackened, right? Uh, especially by the time that Astroth is a, is a big, powerful, not, not just a man in black, but a man of black to the fecund earth, uh, represented, uh, in, in, in Venusian, uh, you know, um, fertility and abundance that we find in, in the typical readings of the Empress, uh, Major Arcana. So again, we deal with like not just a uh, uh, often pregnant, but also a a, a rulership of a of a, of a ruling uh, motherly force with a scepter and a diadem of twelve stars, um, and uh, again comparisons to a to a high priestess. This uh, this this um, not necessarily just a duality, but this sense of both the worldly and creative output of the empress and the ascetic and and wisdom keeping capacities of the of the high priestess. So again, uh, the, the typical, you know, uh, keywords associated with the, the empress are often in, in, in many like tarot handbooks are about femininity, nature, abundance, sometimes beauty, sometimes nurturing, uh, and, and then therefore the, the, the reversal indicating some kind of creative block as well as, uh, rather than a sovereignty, a, a dependence on others. Yeah. There seems to be right. A big conflation between the empress and mother nature. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way as the one who presides over growing things, the 12 stars being the 12 months and the presiding yeah. over the year, the rulership, um, and therefore is a lovely permutation on Venus herself as being yeah. more than just sex or attraction, but right. being the, the, the force that makes pregnancy and brings pregnancy to term and mm-hmm. makes you care for your children so that you raise them mm-hmm. so that your children can then also find a mate and all these but this continuation of, of generation mm. uh, and generations of love of what is that, you know, lack of universal. But um, the Empress also is interesting because I always think about with the obvious, not only the astrological Venus, but that it, it is often conflated to like this Aphrodite, Aphrodite, you know, spreading out frothiness that's with her that's in contrast to the Emperor. But we're still talking about rulership. And there's kind of this, this, Two figures that bring up a third for me, which is weirdly a chap, like a somehow in state of combination. But one is Queen Victoria, who was, you know, literally declared empress in Delhi. And uh, for the time period of these cards could not be far from the mind of anybody as right. far as long ruling female monarch and, and what that means. And, and she's not overly sexualized in any way, shape or form, Victoria. Um, except that, you know, white wedding dresses are white now because of her. The, but the notion of an empress that is Victoria and then the childlike empress from Nefarting's story is the other side of it, of this eternal being that you can't tell how old she is, but she looks like a child. And what there, there's a certain strangeness in that, but that she knows the secrets of the universe, but also 
retains an innocence or, or at least, um, but not a naivete. Mm. And, and that's an interesting polarity there of somewhere in the middle of those two, because maybe it's the paleness of the childlike empress, uh, you know, which he names with his mother's name in, in the, in the story that she needs a maid. And then the, the kind of Queen Victoria, who of course I think more of in the elder years, because that's when I see more photographics, photographs of her rather than the younger years. Again, the, the, the a queen who is, who becomes, uh, uh, blackened as well. Uh, yes. and you know, uh, Albert, uh, passes like infamously a long period of mourning and the, and the, and the grieving yeah. mother and all of those like attendants yes. of Dolorosa, Adorata kind of, uh, uh, uh yeah. Which a lot of that projection of the Virgin brings me to the third figure that they invoke and put together, which is Elizabeth the first, um, mm. yeah, very strongly of making a choice and very much manipulating the public eye and image to replace the Virgin Mary in the newly Protestant nation of, of like project upon your queen, all those things as the empire grows, as we gain wealth, as we somehow don't go to war with everybody that we should be going to war with, or at least we survive the small wars that are created. And this is, this is a, there's something interesting in looking at these female monarchs that are here because there's, there's still the empress and the tarot still betrays a very Western European notion of what a, of, of, of a female ruler or a woman in power is. Which is, you know, the tarot. The tarot is ultimately a, a European uh, expression informed by its own ancestries and things like that. But it's it's not going to, uh, you know, what is it going to be if you see uh, Zinga here? What is it going to be if you if you saw um, Lady Six, the Mayan ruler? Uh, like, you know, what is, they're here, but they're not. They're they're curiously the there would have to be a difference in um, whole symbol sets to to make it work. But the Empress yeah. is, I don't know, it's interesting because in, in pairing her with the High Priestess, does she have the same amount of power? Mm. Uh, you know, is she, like, she's after the Emperor, but I don't know. It, There's almost a parallel there, I feel like, between, again, that, that notion of like, you know, to return to the Aquinan, like of, of, the, of the research and the, and the fermenting of wisdom keeping and the teaching and the passing on and the transmission and reception of the, of the output of that stuff. Um, yeah, in the two of them, I'm 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 still kind of like mm, I, I I chewing on this 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 notion of like empresses or Liz uh, you know Liz one of Elizabeth the uh, first in this role because it's, it's fascinating because she's she's Virginia right so she's yeah. part of the colon you know she's the colonizing and literally naming a plot in these northern uh, Americas uh, yeah. as well as the queen who is potent and like the and the the notion of like virgin materia. Um, that, that that contains all of this potential, as well as yes. mother to her to her peoples, uh, where, yeah. the, where the where the empire itself becomes the stand-in for her lack of generation as a person, yes. and that where the conflation therefore of the empire and the empress as yeah. one thing that that by people doing their work they impregnate the empire and therefore populate the world. And right. uh, uh, I miss I'm my head there because I can hear it in my head and I'm going to hear the critique. The Empress is after the High Priestess is what I meant to say, uh, <laughs> that the Emperor comes after. And the, yeah. I always, I think about that in the terms of the, the kind of quote unquote evolution of the fool. And what does that mean to go from magician to High Priestess to Empress mm -hmm. and then to Emperor Hierophant mm -hmm. and then lovers where the, the two sides are kind of rectified. And I'm not sure what it is for the Empress to turn into the Emperor because it makes it feel like the Empress is after the Emperor, quote unquote, uh, of being subservient to him. Of, of or or secondary to him, and I, I I've never liked that feeling. No, uh, 
uh, personally. Uh, I, like, I like I like the I think it's again it's um uh, uh, I think it's the the Promethea Tarot issue where they're 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 framing the fool as like the Big Bang, and uh, and that the Empress is is the the literal Earth. And then the the emperor is the rules of things like gravity that allow uh-huh. like but but one of them is the is the is the land and the life itself and the other is the conditions that that allow that keep a sky over your head uh, and that kind yeah. of thing. Well, it's very interesting too, just the contrast between the cards. So that like it, we see with the the high priestess, okay, there's the pomegranates behind, and there's columns. So there's the temple, mm-hmm. but the empress herself, she's on possibly a bench or some type of chair but it's soft it's covered in pillows and velvets and you know there's that heart shield there but she herself is viewed to be comfortable um right. or made with and she's wearing so much cloth which is feckin but therefore is not practical either hmm. she's meant to be sitting in state mm-hmm. um she or to be you know the billowing cloth it's not this this is not practical this is drag and then by the time we get to the emperor it's almost like all that beautiful green growing thing has gone away and the Aries martial throne has, you know, put itself down. But it's also is the it- it's also the, the the earth and its relation to the stars that then allows the the first um the first zodiacal sign, both like in terms of Aries as, as at the top of the year and the astrological year, but also I think the first zodiacal attribution to that sequence of of the majors, right? Well what's so. the what's the warm you know, the whole up uh arguing for a tropical astrological system, but what's the mm. warmth that's needed to start the year out of darkness? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the wet earth that has now been received the snow melt that is, is Piscean and, you know, we, we're this moving that's, forward. I was looking at the card again and was struck by, um, not just the, the meadow that she's in, in the, in the kind of foreground, which is again, very sort of pastoral, very like, you know, the, the, the flowers of the field, the lily of the field, right. Uh, uh-huh. consider the lily. Um, but, uh, but, uh, and that, you know, um, that also makes me think if we're, we're talking about, um, Elizabeth, the first of like the kind of Spencerian notion of the fairy queen as well, of like yes. the, the meadows of, uh, of, you know, of Laetitia in the fourth and things like that. So there's that element. But the thing I was going to say was I was struck by, I never, uh, give enough credit uh, uh, when she comes up to the waterfall in the background, the churning waters pouring, pouring forth in that this isn't just this isn't just idyllic nature. This isn't just um, chocolate box uh, pastoral. This is also like a, 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 an outpouring as well as like this, this uh, yeah, phlegmatic uh, dynamo of this, this thundering yeah. of, of water onto, onto earth. And, and uh, yeah. That's to have this like weird association with the shift from Pisces to Aries, which is not what we're really, we're kind of talking about that, but like the earth itself being the, the, the wet earth, the moist earth, the black earth of um the uh, the waters of creation issuing forth but it still reminds me of crawl uh and pulling <laughs> the fire from water but the, yeah. yeah the glaive also but pulling fire from water in that marriage right and how many you know childhood hours were spent trying to pull fire out of water in a pool but this idea of like the Aries fire is born from the black moisture um of of, of the year before it's fascinating the, the empress is I don't think it's, a, a, it's not as a mysterious card as much, right? Like it's, it's, some readers will take it, uh, to mean female authority, whereas others can, will easily say like an emperor can come, the emperor can come up as a, for a woman in power. That is, mm-hmm. it's not just about male versus female, but about authority versus generation or uh, especially 
in this case, building off of you know mentioning Marx, I don't think you can separate the empire from the empress. Um, the, if her connection to the land is almost uh, Arthurian or just you know just it's it's, it's almost the uh, a Fraserian connection between the ruler and the land in a way that is different from the emperor who is more aggressive and 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 ruling and doesn't feel as innately connected to the land as much in the at least the right way. Right, right. The emperor yeah. issues decrees uh, like about the land and on the land. Uh, whereas the Empire yeah. is a little more of the land. I, I'm struck always in looking for Eden again, uh, that this is, is also said to sometimes be by like waiting things like an earthly paradise that she's in. And so there's uh, this Edenic thing to it as well, uh, of like a, a, a perfected state, um, and a, a sense of, 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 of putting forward a possible return to that in some way. Yeah. I think, um, uh, you know, going over weights, descriptions, including the clandestine and doubt and ignorance that can come in with this mm-hmm. uh, or in the reverse to uh, an unraveling of involved matters mm-hmm. or vacillation and i i want i you know those keywords are are actually not as common in in little white books for more modern decks which is mm-hmm. interesting but that there is a gestation that is associated here, right? When, when we're talking about length of days and the understanding of the cycles of nature, that to have fruitfulness, one must build up to fruitfulness. You must, you reap the harvest of your work. Right. Um, and, and that, you know, the unknown doubt, the ignorance can also be like, we don't necessarily know what's going to be fruitful. We have to help nurture that. The, the gestation is an important time, which is done in the dark. Gestation is always done in the dark. Mm. And, uh, there is an ignorance that goes with that of, we don't know what the empire is planning. We're just good citizens who chop wood and carry water. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Speaking of the gestation and darkness, um, I guess where I'm going with that is, uh, you know, mighty oaks from acorns type of. Yeah. Yeah. The image of, of natural authority and, and strength, uh, kind of bridges those two. Yeah. The, 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 the mighty oak, the royal oak, uh, in some cases. Yeah. 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 Let's, uh, yeah, there, there are a couple angles that, as we've been talking, I've been thinking, oh, that's 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 something to peg with with oakness, right? So um, I got very excited when you recommended the the Archie Miles, um, the British oak, uh, oh, yeah, compendious information about the national tree, and um, and while there's there's an awful lot of um, of of, uh, of royalism uh, to it, that it also brings up the um, interplay of myth and folklore and history present in us, uh, you know, in, in, in the Oaks, uh, in the understanding of the Oak as the tree of the Druids. So in Druid. Yeah. Yeah. The, the term, the word deriving from, yeah, from, from an Oak tree, uh, that they are the, the Oak people or the, the ones with Oak wisdom, uh, and those kinds of things. Um, but also that again, our accounts of them are, as we've, as we've talked about a couple of times when it comes to, uh, the Druids, uh, are all, uh, pretty much pulled from. Uh, Roman sources, right? Uh, specifically, often like Pliny the Elder, uh, from where we get the you know the mistletoe and the and, and and some of the white robes that we also get with a lot of um, the 19th century uh, uh, interests in them and the uh, which itself parallels the kind of like uh, 17th century um, uh, refound interest in them from from Aubrey and and the rediscovery of Stonehenge because England is old enough to leave things lying around and forget that they're there for a, a couple hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Oak is such an interesting plant because it was the first thing that made me hyper aware of 
some difference between old world and new because the things that we call oak trees in California are live oaks. It's a type of oak, but it has a much smaller leaf and its leaves curl under and they're pokey. Like if you step on them, they hurt your feet. And I remember being barefoot and you're like, oh, it kind of hurts, but it's not terrible. But like, and the foothills of Los Angeles are, are dotted with them. I went uh, to a school that was before I went to Catholic school was named for the oak trees on the property and playing in, you know, 200, 300 year olds fell, uh, fallen oaks and, and, and oaks everywhere. There was, there's a huge one on, on my parents' property where I grew up. Almost everybody has a live oak tree somewhere in their yard in my, in my hometown. And then hearing all these things of like, it's seeing a drawing of an oak leaf. I was like, what is that? And I felt, I remember it was like five and feeling very lied to of like, we're calling, that's not, this doesn't, none of this is making sense. And my dad being like, well, these are live oaks, you know, this is what's native to this area. It was like, but that's not, it's nothing like, I know mm-hmm. it has acorns. And I know it gives gall, which mm-hmm. is great because that's fun little things you can throw at people or make <laughs> cursing kind of, but mm-hmm. it, it, I, I remember that distinct difference. The oak tree made me aware of a, a lack of ch- consistent truth, mm-hmm. which is ironic, right? Given that oak tree is such a tree of truth. <laughs> and it's, it's made me pay attention very closely to the different types of oaks. You know, there's, if I remember correctly, like close to almost short, uh, short of 200, like new world oak species alone. And, and just the conflation of, you know, if it's not a white oak, white oak, it's probably a red oak. And like right. red oak doesn't right. mean right. a specific tree. And part of that is because, you know, Linnaeus only gives five new world species. And like, so everybody's just trying to figure out like, which one of the five is it? Like based mm-hmm. on leaf shape. And you're like, well, okay, so, right, right, right. Move, moving here, and 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 be, and someone pointing out an, an oak and being like, but that looks like an oak designed by Tim Burton. It's it's all spiked, <laughs> as opposed to yeah. my nice, you know, my nice squirrel nutkin rounded edges of the of the yeah. silver, right? Yeah, and 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 you know, I, I remember I was I used to teach in Jersey a lot, so there was a lot of pin oaks. There was most of them were pin oaks, mm-hmm. and here in the Hudson Valley, I'm seeing tons of turkey oaks. Which is just interesting to see these tiny, slightly different, uh, you know, the, the turkey oak here is considered a weed tree. Like mm. it's a weed. The mm. tree is classified as a weed. Um, is fascinating to me. Um, mm. and, and, uh, this reverence for the mighty oak in other traditions, the oaks of Thor or the oak tree of Gernica or, you know, just the, the English oak itself, right? Like it's what a beautiful tree that is, it adds far more, many more species than it's just, uh, there's no universal symbolism and yet there's a universal symbolism. Yeah. Go on with with uh, what else? Sorry, no, no, no. The fasc- fascinating. I mean, uh, we got another link back to oh, uh, some some uh, a version of a of a of a, uh, a a god lord or a lord god of of Baal or Bell um, uh-huh. or Yule, right? Of the of the, the Yule log is meant to be uh, a solid, you know, good piece of oak. Um, you get uh, Christina Hole in her um, British folk customs of. Uh, uh, in the 70s, saying the Yule log was the domestic counterpart of the great communal fires of the midwinter and midsummer festivals. And like them, it was associated with fertility and continuing life and with preservation from evil. And then, yes, of course, we get, you know, uh, uh, Royal Oak Day uh, uh, cropping up around the the, the 29th of, of, of May that's um, originally seems to be popularized uh, in, in 1660 with Charles II's uh, return to the throne. Uh, where, where everyone wears a, a, an oak leaf in celebration of a king hiding in a tree. And this is also 
you know, a fascinating piece of um, of, of uh, monarchists' uh, propaganda in terms of linking to uh, already a national tree to also a bunch of like other um, late May, uh, linking the late May to the early May of like you know um, of, of green men and, and Jack in the Greens and and May Queens and this kind of thing. So getting the start with the older look to the past and then the the end of May as the as the look to um, the embodiment of that in the in the head of the nation uh, wearing the wearing the crown. <laughs> the, the shift from things that were considered low class now become high class because they're they're harder to manufacture in a big mm-hmm. way. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, like fl- acorn flour, uh, which mm-hmm. is very common in indigenous diet uh, in North America for sure. Uh, you have to leach the tannins out because otherwise you're just going to vomit. Um, you, you know, oak, oak leaves themselves are actually poisonous to, to livestock in large amounts because of the tannins. And I also remember being told, you know, oak tree is struck five times more than any other tree by lightning. Um, and that specifically is because it has the highest iron content of, hmm. of most trees. So it's just, it's natural that then, uh, the, the tree itself will, will draw the attention of, of the thunder gods who will come back later. Yeah, that's that's yeah, and and then hence iron gall ink as well. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, oak galls are interesting because I mean, we call them oak apples. Like I, I didn't grow up calling them gall. I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. Found out later, like, oh, that's those are I got plenty of them. <laughs> uh, but it's it's I'm sure those are familiar. It's 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 a growth formed by the gall wasp. It's it's you know it's the tree's reaction to uh, a parasitic relationship with, with the gall wasp, and they're very light, like. Not quite styrofoam lightness, but pretty close. Um, and then uh, you can boil them and they make, make things black. Or you can grind them down. But it's, uh, they're fun to throw at people because they don't hurt. They're the nerves of, 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 of tree projection. Yeah, ab- absolutely. All I can hear is Morgan Freeman saying, damned English oak in uh, <laughs> Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which was a reaction to the door being thick. Um, yeah, so oak, uh, as far as per- other personal associations with it, like I, because, you know, I, I lived in, uh, San Sebastian for a while and, and, and cities around there, there's South there, there's like a, um, you know, the oak tree of Guernica is, is a huge, huge thing. Um, and if you're not familiar with Guernica, you might be more familiar with, uh, Picasso's painting of it, um. Which the most famous thing is that when the Nazis invaded his studio, they looked at him and looked at the painting and said, "Did you do that?" And he pointed to them and said, "No, you did that." So, Guernica in um, the northern area, it's in it's in Vizcaya, which is one of the in Spain the 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 Basque provinces. There's seven total, but Vizcaya and and Guipuzcoa are are on the northern shore. So you get Bilbao is a city in in Vizcaya. So Guernica has a, a tradition of an oak tree there where the kings would take the local rulers would take oaths under it swearing by the oak tree and part of this is the relationship uh, between notably people think between the word truth or the word for word rather and the word for oak um, eats and not eats um, but that to stand under the oak tree was to you're swearing this was like swearing on a bible and then we go back to at least the ninth century, the Lords of Biscay swearing under this tree, um, which is also, I found out, uh, yeah, Jesse Manchester, uh, one of the first Lords of Biscay. 
But because this tree symbolized an, an autonomy, the Basques would ask the Spanish king to come and swear under the tree that he would protect their autonomy and allow them to uphold what was called the Fulhuac, the old laws. Mm. And so the tree became a symbol of uh, autonomous pride within the Basque identity. Mm. And because Franco was you know, trying to unify the country under this beautiful fascistic banner, he uh, told the Nazis that they could start their bomb practice on the little Basque shopping town of Guernica and, you know, aim for the oak tree, as it were. So uh, it's the original survived, but, um, you know, the, what they do is they cultivate a, a new tree, you know, a, you know, 50 feet away from the old one. They either take an acorn from the, so it's contiguous, these yeah. trees that have grown. There's a newer one now. Um, and it's always sad when the old one dies. But the, the Nazis came and uh, it was uh, April 25th or 26th, 1937. Uh, and it was one of the, they were practicing for what they would do to England um, and how they would do a, uh, a bombing raid. So the oak tree of Guernica is, you know, it's one of the more famous oak trees there. So uh, it, it's also the symbol of the town, like the, the tree in front of the, the small place where the Lords met. It is a, you know, Roman-esque building. You know, it looks like a little Parthenon. Uh, but the that was the Lithuania. And then you get Picasso's rendering of that with, um, the horse going off to the left, just huge giant things going on there. So uh, you can see it in, uh, I think it's Museo Reina Sofia is the actual place where it's housed, which is uh, in Madrid. Anyway, there's that. And then I think also of, can't remember, it might be Frazier, Sir James Frazier, <laughs> of uh, the offense of a German if they break an, a living oak tree's twig, it was given that they should staple meaning put a nail through their intestines which they are pulling out of their belly and then to walk around the tree until they pass out dead um out of a fence for having felled part of an oak tree or an oak in a sacred grove i can't remember which it is but it's this is i just remember that thing of like okay so i have offended the oak tree so the honorable thing to do is to staple a piece of metal to it with my intestines and offer my body to it in forgiveness. Uh, for, yeah, it's a heck of a uh, uh, an apology. Yeah. Uh, and then you get the uh, St. Boniface, right? The, the the cutting down of the the oak tree of Thor's oak or Donar's oak and then putting a St. Peter church right on top of it, mm-hmm. which is fascinating because if you're a tree worshiper and it has this kind of Thor who is, you know, we talk about Odin Shore and we've talked, I, I, I can't remember what we talked about on the show versus when we talk about in person. But uh, we certainly talked about the, the interesting thing of like, although now we talk about Odin as a high god and that, that may be the case that much far the popular vote goes to Thor, yeah. right? And this, this fits more the kind of other Indo-European religions uh, around that the thunder god is, is going to be highly placed. Um, and that, you know, perhaps a written cult of the Bar- Bardic counting of warrior tales elevates Odin to a different position, but that it's pretty hard to get rid of the fact that like every, everybody's worshiping Thor. So this this oak being sacred to Thor and um, living trees, as well as images carved from wood for for these uh, northern gods, mm. um, but Saint Boniface himself uh, condemning the the area, uh, condemning the people of the area, and uh, chopping down Thor's oak is something that always stuck in my mind because there's always these uh, when you're in when you go to Catholic school you read a lot about these things and. You know, just the the image of the saint wielding a, an axe and is 
there's this famous uh, one that always felt like a coloring book because it's, it's like black and white aging, but it's uh, Robinson's Live, Little Lives of the Saints, mm. which was highly popular in the 50s and 60s. You see it kind of sitting around in the old churches. But what is it? Uh, now that at that time, many of the Hessians brought under the Catholic faith and confirmed by the grace of the sevenfold spirit, received the laying on of hands, others indeed, not against strength and soul, refused to accept an entire lessons of the inviolate faith. Uh, blah, 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 blah. With the advice and counsel of these last, the saint attempted in the place called Gesmir, while the servants of God stood by his side to fell a certain oak tree of extraordinary size, which is called by an old name of the pagans, the Oak of Jupiter, which is really a Thor. Okay. And then with the strength of his steadfast heart, he had cut the lower notch. There was present a great multitude of pagans who in their souls were earnestly cursing the enemy of their gods. But on the fourth side of the tree was notched only a little southern the oak's vast bulk, driven by a blast from above, crashed to the ground, shivering its crown of branches as it fell, as if by gracious compensation the Most High, who it was also burst into four parts, and four trunks of huge size equal in length were seen, unwrought by the brethren who stood by. And at this sight, the pagans who before had cursed now, on the contrary, believed and blessed the Lord and put away their former reviling. So just little miracles of, of you know, trees blowing up at one axe blow by, by St. Boniface. Right, 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 right. Uh, 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 breaking the idols of the pagans. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated by that because there's a, there's a stray line in, um, in, in, in Reginald Scott's discovery of witchcraft about various unbewitching practices. He says um, uh, that neither hunters nor their dogs may be bewitched. They cleave an oaken branch and both they and their dogs pass over it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what's the what's what's you know this this combination of the power of the oak as a, as a long-standing uh, tree of, of protection and warding off illness as well as ensuring potency and, and longevity especially versus like echoing the act of uh, of of a of a, uh, of a Christian um, overlay or a, a, a response to that uh, again the idea of like shedding the 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 blood of something that this, there's a magic in the catastrophism of uh, of of the, of the breakage of something produces a, a breakage of something else. Mm. Uh, in uh, it, it, speaking of, um, of of phallic sigils of uh, Elastor, aka earlier Astaroth, um, uh, uh, the Latin uh, 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 geeks might uh, be interested to to know if they didn't already that the. Um, the name of the head of the penis is glands, right? Which is the Latin yep. for acorn. So it's it's, it's ah. literally a, a phallic tree. Mm. It's a mighty acorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So magically, associations of oak. I mean, I, I, use, I use it for my, my Jupiter stuff. That's, that's my main Jupiter wand is, 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 is oaken for, for reasons we've, we've, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about. Uh, yeah, uh, the longevity, the longevity of, of fidelity as well. Of, of, of things that are built to last and therefore, again, not just stray fecundity of sell, of, 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 uh, sowing wild oats, but of, um, of, of nurturing beneath your, you know, your boughs. You know, it's interesting because it's so associated with Jupiter that it's hard. To, <laughs> it's almost like, what, what do you use it for? Your answer was literally Jupiter, not like a purpose, uh, <laughs> uh but, but Jupiter. Uh, I hold it on Thursdays when I'm doing stuff on Thursdays. I, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I use it for a bunch of, uh, what do you uh, use it for? Thursday. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, what, 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 you know, uh, what time is it? You know, um, yeah. around, what are those, those things? Your yeah, answer right. is always showtime, Al. <laughs> oh, I miss the subway. <laughs> at least that part of it. I think it's, uh, because of indigenous influence, I think the oak is 
as equally called tree of life in the, in, in the United States mm-hmm. as ash might be cited as Ignacil in, in this kind of way. But I know many people that will conflate the two anyway. And especially the thing like a, a, a sacred tree is a sacred tree. Um, when we're talking about oak being truth and majesty, like majesty is a quality, like as a magical action is such an interesting thing. But with rulership, uh, that, that kind of right to, right to rule that we talked about with Ashtaroth. Um, but I, you know, there's interesting because there is, uh, there's literally a tree called the sacred oak in Pennsylvania. Um, and it's, uh, in, uh, Olay Valley. I, I'm not gonna pronounce that like a local, but, uh, it is a, a tree sacred to the Lenape, the Delaware Lenape. Mm. So it's, uh, considered to be like a world tree representative in that way. There's also uh, a legend that's told about, um, how a beautiful woman that's like married to a powerful chief becomes ill and all the tribes medicine men are called in and they administered medicines to no effect and the chief's wife becomes weaker and sicker and um finally the the chief takes you to the sacred oak and prays to the great spirit for his wife to be saved and when he returned to camp she was well again and uh similarly when they were threatened by war the chief goes to the sacred oak and, and prays to the great spirit gives him guidance and um he gathers beads and blankets and, and goes to the enemy's cap and gives the gifts and uh the they they broker a peace so it's hard to put a lot of credence in some of these kind of like roadside. Here's the Indian lore on the place. Um, but there is a, that the tree is considered to be, uh, sacred for, for many people around and, um, let up are a huge group, but that's who would be all the way up in my area in Hudson Valley, um, down through, through Delaware. But, um, there have not been a lot in my area since the 1700s because they were all, uh, kicked out or left. Um, the, but the tree exists and it's visible, uh, is, and is a beautiful tree. Um, I also think of the, uh, um, the angel oak, um, which if anybody wants to like, I'm, I like visiting named trees. It's just a thing. So the angel oak is a Southern live oak and it's on, uh, John's Island near Charleston in South Carolina. Um, and it's about a 500 year old oak. It's like, you know, it's not a hundred, maybe like 75 feet tall at most. Um, and it's the trunk is like, you know, 30 feet around, but it's, it produces a shade that covers like, I don't know, 17,000 or 18,000 square feet. Like it's just huge because it spreads and live oak too. It wasn't like part of their trunk goes back along the ground. And so it's, uh, it is not the oldest tree east of the Mississippi, which is a common claim, uh, because there's, um, the bald cypress trees are far older thousand years older but it is an extremely important tree um and there's uh the mr angel justice angel maybe um the that's the the estate that it was on and the local felt locals tell stories of um ghosts of former slaves appearing as angels in the tree um so it has a reputation where people go to talk to their ancestors um but it is also another beautiful beautiful sprawling tree and i like it because because it's a live oak it looks like the trees i grew up that what you're talking about like the timber thing of like weird twisty branches that kind of go back to the ground and then come back up and i remember at the the school i went to which was um called anokia um named for the woman who owned it which is anita and oak trees like that there were just so many oak trees 
Um, mm-hmm. And there's a certain smell that I can remember to like the ground when it's covered with oak leaves. Um, it's a very tactile smell and like the, you know, the little acorn caps that are hairy and then they that for where they stick on your fingers um, really well. But uh, there was a, a beautiful example of a nurse tree. It was a fell oak. It was probably, I don't know, 40 feet, 50 feet long that all of the tree itself was on its side with the roots exposed, but it had at least a dozen 20 foot oak trees, which were its branches still growing up out of it. Um, and that type of nurse tree is always interesting to me. There's a lot of beautiful, magical energy around those trees that fall, but keep growing. Mm. Um, and often in more count than they were just as a single tree. Yeah. Um, and you see that in live oaks a lot. Right. It's called a live oak because it, it stays green. It doesn't shed its leaves. Right. Um, so it stays covered in leaves all year long. Um, okay. It's usually in an environment that doesn't demand it shed its leaves mm-hmm. anyway. Right, right. But stalwart. We, we, we've mentioned before, um, uh, just because just it, 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 I know it wasn't in Nokia, but it, it triggered a, a thing. We've talked before about how uh, ash uh, can be a specific tree, but it can also, and you also mentioned it briefly there as the, as the, as the world tree in a lot of uh, yeah. traditions, but that it becomes a term just for trees in general. It's the, it's the, yes. Uh, and I, I, I see, I, I have ended up finding a little bit of that in my, my ongoing experiments with, um, uh, angelical, uh, 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 calls of, uh, of, of, of prayers and, uh, magical speech acts based around the, the language called Enochian. There is, there is no word for tree, uh, as far uh-huh. as I'm aware, but there is a word for oak, uh, uh, uh-huh. and so like. Yeah, I think about that in terms of like the oak is the is the Enochian stand-in for all trees, uh, potentially. Uh-huh. I um, could. That's that's a lovely. Uh, uh, make it so. Um, <laughs> certainly, there is there's evidence of many languages um, that don't have names for collective nouns, like or classes of nouns, like no word for family, no word for color, no word for mountain, no word for tree, no word mm-hmm. for rock, but a name for every type of tree, a name for you know, multiple slopes on a mountain, each slope, each direction, getting its own name, um, a name for every color, but not the word for color. Mm-hmm. And it, so I, I think it's interesting. This, this need to classify certainly has found its way into the Indo-European languages. So it, it's rare to see any Indo-European thing like lacking a classifying noun. And certainly an agglutinating language like English, it's just, if it doesn't have the name, it'll create one and it's going to be based, you know, Greek or Latin. But the note, again, yeah, the notion of like, the, every tree in, 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 in Norway is either a, an ash or a rowan, right? Depending on who you talk to. And it's not that they can't, it's like with that, you know, it's like ordering a Coke and when you say, what kind of Coke do you want? And you're like, I want a Sprite. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, it does, it does happen. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 uh, I, don't know. I like, I like that. Um, and oak as a standard, what do you use oak for when you don't know the specific word for something? <laughs> and ascribe that magical attention to it, intention to it. There is a, a lovely, this practicality to it, right? Of like it being so hard that it's, it's going to withstand things to, to make something out of oak, to carve a saint idol out of oak. Not only is it going to last longer, it's also more difficult to carve. You need better tools to carve it. And it's yeah. just, you have to start on softer woods. You know, this is where you get your linden idols because they're easier to make, but it's just a balance between you can carve it, but if it drops, it's not necessarily going to get dented. Oh, it's going to dent the thing it drops on. You know, right. it's, it's like a hardness scale factor. <laughs> Uh, is that more of an investment to carve it? Yeah. Yeah. I also have drawn to the notion of, you know, how oak is used so heavily for doorways and doors. 
Um, you know, ash is also used very heavily for doors traditionally, but just the idea of a hardwood, especially for the beam that grows, goes behind that latches the door shut. Mm. So that the, it, the oak is the thing that's supporting the ashen door, uh, which is often used, uh, just to kind of give it more strength. And yep. the kind of understanding of how trees are used in our house that we, we cut down trees and then erect trees that are then screwed and nailed together. Yeah. And that there are, there are tree like things with branches that we can't even see in our very walls that are still upright in a, in a grove, in a nematon of, of, uh, in something that is truly lost some of its sacredness, unfortunately, in the modern parlance. But, you know, the idea of the house as temple of the land and the connection to the sacred oak groves and uh, for many, the pine, and we should all be worshiping pine. That's like, it's two by fours are most often pine. Mm. Uh, but mm. there's, I like this idea of the house as a sacred grove because we have used so much wood in, in, in constructing it, even if we hide it. Mm. Yeah. Even if it's the skeleton of the house, it's still, you know, the spine of it. Yeah. Mm. You know, in, in, in its connection to thundering and, and lightning and things like that, you don't often see, I've not seen much description to like searching oaks for lightning stones or thunderstones. But it is interesting that, that, that both, uh, this tying to the thunder gods, this idea of stones fallen from heaven or the, the oak tree that attracts lightning, but still lives. Mm. Um, uh, you know, especially a thunder, a thunderstruck oak is a big thing, right? Like getting yeah. wood from that is, is, a, is an amazing material. Mm. Um, but the thunderstone itself, as far as a, a cultic object has so much lore around it. And I find it's interesting because it's died off in modern parlance, except in certain like, extant traditions it's not something people kind of come back to as much i did see uh at one point i think it was last year or the year before where uh cody uh borealis uh was was trying to educate on bellamites uh which is a a beautiful british uh ascription to thunderstones the so bellamites and sometimes ammonites were used as a, a thunderstone or called a thunderstone and Bellamites are specifically the, it's the conical tube of a squid, a, a prehistoric squid. It was the fossil. And you see this in gem shops. They're black with like this weird conical gray thing across them. Well, people would carve out that conical gray bit and it was shaped similarly to Neolithic axe heads that might be found or, or simple stone tools that have been found, uh, throughout the years. Uh, ancient axes often get called thunderstones, uh, whether or not they were anywhere near lightning. And it's just the idea that it, the axe, the hammer that's thrown from heaven, um, the Thor's hammer, uh, the, the, the different wedges that are thrown. Uh, so I, I found that beautiful to, uh, muse on, on, on Bellamites as, you know, this, this forgotten form of, of this fossilized form that is calling to the thunder gods. What does that mean? What is, what is the, what are the fossils of thunder? Yes, and this this admixture of, of of what's shaped by ancestors versus like the, the 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 further ancestors of like you know tracing things back to last universal common ancestor, right? Uh, yeah. What's what's formed by uh, by nature and what's formed by nature using the hands of, of 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 people who aren't around anymore. Yeah, or like you know going back to the interloke and seeing your ancestors there. Um, mm. it's, it's just there's something quite beautiful in this connection there. Um, you know, the, the tree as, as communal center, right? Or, or wor- especially going to world tree, which is an interesting topic for a type of magic in the future. But okay. So thunderstones themselves, you also get more familiar with, with like the, 
the Nerisha cult use of them as, as tokens for Shangor or Yah, uh, and the various forms of stones that fall from the sky. Uh, you also get, uh, so there you get lightning stones, stones that were believed to have been found near where lightning struck. Uh, in the modern trade economy, things that are called Eduara or thunderstones coming out of Nigeria have a, a, like obviously a silicate in them or there's like a shininess to them. They look like a little granite rock. It's shaped roughly into it. Um, the larger ones are shaped into a convenience, uh, looking like a guitar pick often in, in shape or, or perhaps elongated versions of those. You also get, um, the, the heavily shaped ones, which are often made out of a different rock. And it's interesting. They're all being called Eduara and, and sacred in that way. But thunderstones throughout history have been shaped, have been very much worked by human hands to make the shape of an axe head. And you see a similar thing that the, in the Caribbean, where, you know, the Orisha cult doesn't go to Cuba, uses prehistoric Taino axes, um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, Arawak axe heads as thunderstones. It sees those as thunderstones. And so you get these very long, um, extended teardrop, I guess you could say, like, or, uh, like, a a clown wearing a, a dunce cap or, you know, like a, like a Jack in the box logo. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but very long, elongated, uh, teardrop shaped stones being called um, thunderstones to the point where now in in many botanic as you go it's actually polished concrete it's not even a rock anymore and you can throw it if you if you clack them against each other i remember this time where uh my godfather was going into a botanic gun um he looks and starts smacking them against each other because if they really know breaking the guy's like please stop you know for being respectful but he's like no this no sir it's no sir and like just keep going through it like, oh this one works like by this one like, we destroyed like five uh, <laughs> And the owner comes over, he's like, please stop, sir. Like, I'll give that to you. Please just come over here. But he was like, hey, we get for free. <laughs> I was embarrassed, <laughs> but I miss him every day. Uh, so yeah, I, I, the, what gets called a Thunderstone and, and uh, you know, there's also medicine associated with them. Like I know that in um, Southeast Asian tradition, the things that are called Thunderstones are used for intestinal distress, uh, mm-hmm. for, for uh, especially appendicitis, uh, boils, ulcers, that type of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's just, they, keeping a thunderstone will prevent fire from coming into your house. So honoring the, 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 the lightning God in some way keeps it there. But interestingly, they were, what's it, what I find, I guess it's the lightning doesn't strike twice thing. Maybe, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that like, if you're keeping the product of lightning that, you know, he's already, he's already exacted his vengeance because the other side of it is, is if you go, you know, follow the kind of shuggle cult idea that they would go to someone's house that was struck by lightning, they were being punished. Mm. We find the stones. Let's find the stones. Even though their house burned down, find the stones and distribute those as holy objects. It's, a, it's an interesting progression, right? To, to take the objects yeah. from this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a combination of a, um, uh, of, uh, evidence of, uh, uh, like, you know, a meditation on, um, let's not do this again. And also a kind of inoculation. Yeah. Like taking a little part of the, the thing that has afflicted and, uh, and using it as a protection against that affliction in the future. I think it's the Kichen Maya that talk about a flint that falls from the sky and shatters into like several thousand pieces and each piece becomes a god that the gods themselves are made from thunderstone. Um, and that uh, often flint is associated with thunderstones or with fire stones in general because it's flint. You know, you strike it with metal, it makes sparks. Right. Um, and can also be and then, to, into nice um, cutting and grinding. and, and, and Exactly. Arrowheads themselves refined from that and things like that. Um, 
the, right. the, the arrow being the other thing, you know, uh, a stone that falls from the earth, uh, yeah. again, propelled by a branch. And the, I mean, the Pueblos are, had flint societies, which were, you know, weather witchcraft societies. Right. Um, but, and sometimes used for war, but it was, it was trying to, to figure things out with flint. I also think, uh, what is it? Pawnee? They have, uh, that, the deity called Morningstar that gives flint to the people. Um, uh, stone weapons in general. Uh, it also brings the point of like understanding older cosmologies of understanding the stone as the, the sky is iron. Mm-hmm. And therefore, in addition to just the stones that are created when lightning strikes, but that meteorites themselves are pieces of the sky. Um, and that is why they're iron. So we know when something falls through, when an angel comes down, when, when, when serpent light, serpents as lightning are traveling across or dragons are fighting, whatever the mythology of the various places, when, which is all, all this exists in Europe. Uh, uh, just that the iron that falls is indeed evidence. It's a piece of the firmament. Right, um, right. The, the cave uh, roof of the vault of night. Yes, yeah, exactly. And that I just, I think there's something really beautiful about that too. So, so Thunderstone is more often than not, not a meteorite, but it can be a meteorite or it could be a fulgurite, which is what's actually created by lightning when it strikes silicate sand. So right, it makes a type of... Yes like fragile glass. You also get a difference. Uh, so fulgurites are often caused in, uh, born in deserts, right? Because there's more sand. But you also get what the meteorites that were traded heavily in Europe uh, in the, you know, early, early modern period were sandy meteorites from Northern Africa. Again, because meteorites that fell in cities, that would be a different thing. The people would probably keep those meteorites. <laughs> But meteorites themselves being worshipped is a, is, a, is a, I think that we'll probably have to do that as a topic because there's, I mean, that covers everything from like Artemis of Ephesus to uh, the the Kaaba to, yeah. to just anything. So I guess meteorites is a, is a beautiful rock to explore in the future. But to understand that I think thunderstones can cover many things from fossil to random stones that were near where lightning struck to mm-hmm. shape weapons that symbolize the, the throwing of stone from the sky stone thrower that turns to shango uh to as well as it could be fulgurites meteorites or anything like that mm-hmm. i have a an enormous man-made fulgurite well not really man-made it's made by something that was man-made but it itself is not particularly man-made so it's not made by lightning but my uncle in portland i think the power line went down and where it went down created glass in the sand in giant chunks so there's the piece was originally like four feet long mm-hmm. and i have several pieces of it because that broke you know when they tried to transport it, it broke because it's fragile fulgurites are fragile yeah. but i have a couple pieces of that it's like this is this is still fulgurite it's yeah. just an artificially created one but yeah at the same time it was an act of god that brought down the power line that then right. made the fulgurite so i i yeah. fascinating <laughs> um, yeah the insurance company gonna classify it yeah yeah so stones that are smoothed a lot, uh, were, that were found that the ancient tools and things were often classified as, uh, angel weapons, uh, in the middle Lord ages. Glory heaven, right? Yeah. 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 So the, the idea and, and, uh, people giving each other, uh, heaven axes and angel axes and things like that, that they would find, which were well-worn stone tools. Um, and that this was obviously the, the weapons of the angels from the ancient war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the Thunderstones gave um, success in battle because of this association, safety on the sea, because of the weather. You can mm-hmm. help control it with that. Lightning wouldn't strike twice again. 
security against thunder. Uh, and then also notably, it would ward off unpleasant dreams and curses. The storms. And, the- yeah, the storms of the mind. Exactly. There's a big thing too, I think, uh, in, La- in some Latin American traditions with thunderstones or, or even wood that's been struck by lightning is to rub it over the joints of the body to um, keep them from stiffening up. Mm. Uh, like, like I know that there's definitely amulets for, that are said to be thunderstones that are sold for like curing arthritis and like rub this on yourself. You know, when you first get up, when you're sitting at the table. I think about that in terms of the stone has been enlivened in some way. Like it's been, you know, Frankenstein's like, he's alive. Right. And, and you are adding yeah. that lifeness, uh, uh, or, or, or drawing the, uh, or drawing the, the stoniness of the limb out. Hmm. Yeah. In, uh, I know in Scandinavia, they can be anti elf, like specifically elves, not dwarves, not. Right. It feels like, a, like elf shot more widely. Right. Yeah. And hmm. that also, um, I think it was ancient Rome that it was. Felt to cure the the ill effects of rabies, meaning like if you put coral, which is you know like blood, gorgon blood, um, and thunderstone, they would put it on uh, dog collars to prevent dogs from going mad. Um, huh. And usually, what that means is is rabies. Right. So, um, was believed to to give a better life to the dog. Yeah, similarly, you see that tradition too with like putting an axe near the door, which is not a thunderstone, but you're still talking about the modern equivalent, hmm. like axe blade up prevents against lightning. Um, or a weapon near the door prevents against lightning. And I think it's just this interesting evolution from stone tools to metal tools. Right. And the, and the, and the folding in of, of, of older ways and, and making them both more mythological that the, you know, uh, that the tools of the, the ancestors of the land become evidence of, of, of angels or, or, or things like that. Hmm. Those of you that don't know, Dr. Al is a, like literally a specialist in the passions. Um, and uh, it's a big thing. Like we were saying in the beginning, this is broad topics and we're already a long episode, but we're about to get longer. Uh, because, because, yeah. So Al, Dead Magicians, Cummins, Nay, uh, Passions. Uh, right. <laughs> right. So yeah, when I, when I glossed my, uh, uh, my, my, my doctoral thesis, which the, the title which I thought was just meant to be a description. I was I was planning on giving it a very evocative title, but it ended up just being uh, 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 listed as a description of it, uh, magical approaches to the passions uh, in, in in early modern Europe with a concentration on uh, 17th century England. Uh, but I, I generally gloss that as a as a doctorate in wizards and feelings, um, uh, side Scorpio all the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's uh, let's let's dive into passion, uh, the magic of passions and and passion magic and magic about passions. Um, the, 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 the first thing to say is that we are talking about, um, uh, a thing that gets called emotionology, which I'll, 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 I'll unpick if we, if we want, but the important thing to bear in mind about, um, looking at these different ways that the, the matters of the heart have been approached between a, a pre-modern and a modern split. And normally that's around emotion as a word is used way before that. And we'll, we'll talk about how it's, it's, it's the motions of the heart, uh, and the, the perturbations of the soul in, in some cases. But it doesn't come, but we get the more modern term coming in somewhere around 1700, 1750. Um, Dr. Thomas Dixon has done a lot of, of good work on this, but we get labels like passions, actions, perturbations, uh, affections, appetites, even 
which aren't necessarily used interchangeably exactly, but were certainly often dependent upon each other, as well as sometimes being different terms for similar or indeed identical kind of phenomena. And this is also partly complicated because of uh, pre-modern notions of, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lack of a uh, Cartesian dualism between the mind and the body, and then the soul on top of that, and then also the spirit kind of weaving them all together, right? Uh, I, I love quoting, I think it's Bruce uh, Smith talking about, uh, uh, this is what, this is how people think about uh, those matters of the heart before Descartes convinces some European intellectuals, uh, some to this day, that they can think without their bodies. So we get this phraseology of, of the passions of the mind and the affections of the soul. And they all are underpinned by considerations of perception, sense, and, and in a sense, reactivity. So um, even into the 18th century, uh, early 18th century at least, like you've got mm, philosophers like John Locke talking about the passion of the, the cue ball on the billiard ball, right? It's, it's, it's a matter of physics. It's that which moves. Right and and that which moves through you, as well as the 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 other crucial meaning, uh, which is passio, which is to suffer, um, and so we have this idea that these perturbations, these imbalances, are, um, are are in some ways regarded as as fundamentally challenging, and this is picked up big time by both the Stoics and then later a bunch of uh, 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 Christian uh, thinkers about uh, the psychomachia, the war of the good rational. Christian soul over your, your, your animal impulses. But you also get this notion that they are in some way tools of some kind, that they're not necessarily just imbalances, they're things that move you in a particular way. And that uh, through understanding how we are moved, we can um, allow them to, uh, we can bridle our passions. We, we don't, again, we don't defang our, our, our passionate demons. We, we simply keep them on tight leashes. And so uh, one of the most reputable and quoted figures of Christian philosophy of the passions, at least in the early modern period, is, is, is St. Thomas Aquinas. How about that? Um, and he's, it's, it's so reputable that he's, he's referred to in texts uh, on the passions as, as, as Thomism uh, or of the opinions of the Thomists or even more familiar simply Thomas. Uh, Thomas says so-and-so and that it, it's always Aquinas. So there's a couple of notions there, right? There's, there's the idea of, of humoral theory, not just being about uh, the personality test of, of, you know, are you more of a uh, 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 of a, a Rose or a, or a Dorothy or a Blanche um, or a Sophia, but also of humoral theory being based around the, the goodness and the efficacy of, of proper balance, of a, of, a eucrasia, of a good mix of these things. And so this idea of passions as an imbalancing us connects by, by literal magical contagion, the notions of the, the heart uh, as the seat and the shaper of the, of the, the humors and the passions in the body along with like habituation and things like that, to, to looking at how we are uh, not just unbalanced in the sense of I am solid and then uh, something happens and I am, I am upset about it and you know, upset, right? I am and diseased by it, but also that you are ever balancing on the, on the beach ball of your good health. And so in being moved, we can, we can achieve a, um, oh, I never remember, is it centrifugal or, or centripetal uh, force, right? That we are stable by our movement. Uh, ideally, so the the big Thomists, um, the big the big uh, 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 contributions from 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 Aquinas on on passions in in general and perceiving them from a from a a a, a worldview that 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 treats uh, magic as increasingly a natural uh, thing that the universe does is uh, is a typology uh, is 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 outlining uh, eleven 
passions, but also dividing them uh, into the concupiscible passions and the irascible passions. Uh, and so he, he says, which in English may be termed, uh, the concupiscibles are uh, uh, coveting, desiring, or wishing uh, kind of passions, and the irascible are uh, angry, invading, or impugning tendencies. And so Aquinas lists, lists six concupiscible passions, love, hatred, desire, horror, sometimes aversion, and joy and grief. And these are paired as the goody and the baddie, right? The, the white hat and the black hat. And then he gives five irascibles, hope and despair, which are paired, boldness and fear. And again, boldness is, is not just a, an action or a personality type. It's, 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 a, it's a passion. It's a feeling, uh, more than a feeling. Uh, and then anger. Uh, boldness of fear and then anger. And anger is, isn't given an opposite, but I, I, there are, there are all sorts of ideas around how righteous anger and destructive wrath are kind of, um, paired within the concept of, of, of anger. So we, we have this idea of, of these coveting passions that are for the movement of the sensitive soul itself, which, which requires some, again, uh, Aquinas pulling in Aristotelian metaphysics of the soul that there are these, Three uh, faculties of the soul: the nutritive, which is which which all living things that grow, uh, like the plant soul, if you like; the sensitive, which all um, animals have; uh, anything with a heart and a, a circulatory system uh, is said to have uh, passions. And again, there's a lot of reading passions across the species barrier, as one emotion historian puts it, of looking at like collar, like anger, as expressed in the wolf, and that people are wolfish and and, and wolves can be like angry people in various ways. Uh, so we have the idea of, of, of coveting passions of for moving the sensitive soul towards things that are good for us, ideally, as well as the, the lure of things that are not good for us that, that also pull us in. Uh, and then the invading passions are, are said to be for overcoming impediments to those movements. And this is all uh, interestingly appointed by God. So we get this, we start to get this sense in, in, in this Thomas consideration that maybe the passions aren't all just, you know, the whisperings of, of sexy, sexy Satan. Uh, that we asked to get behind us. <laughs> For the better execution whereof, he hath armed all beasts, either with force, craft, or flight, to eschew all obstacles that may detain them from those things which they conceive as convenient. Wherefore the bull he hath imparted horns, to the boar his tusks, to the lion claws, to the hare his heels, to the fox craft, uh, to men their hands and wit. And, and, and so you start to have this idea of, of, of thinking about the passions not just as being divided between Oh, uh, the movement of the sensitive faculties of the soul towards that which it deems good or pleasurable or, um, uh, uh, virtuous, depending on whether you're talking about, you know, uh, Plato or Spinoza or, or, or various other people, uh, trying to work out how the soul relates to the world and the things in it and its passions. Um, but also therefore what to do when you are, uh, uh, confronted by, uh, things that need to be, uh, uh, overcome in some way. And so it isn't just about what you want and don't want, you know, uh, there's, there's some amazing, um, uh, depictions of eschewing or aversion as very much a do not want, uh, which is its own kind of desire. I, I desire not this thing. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to point out that I've never considered that homophonic relation before of eschewing and eschew. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, uh -huh. um, the egg shoe. Yeah. Can I, I understand that passions give rise to our concepts of emotions, but how are they different? Great question. Okay. So for a start, uh, when we're, when we're thinking about it's not them, just old fashioned emotions, really. Like, no, I, no, I, no. I don't like it when things are talking about things like, Oh, it's just primitive psychology right. or it's divination or it's holistic therapy within a cultural context. Like, I don't, so I want to like make sure that I'm not be like, it's just emotions. 
Um, it's not. It's it's something different. No, no. So we have um, uh, for a start, we 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 have this idea that passions are what happened to uh, an inspirited uh, is a horrible term, but like mind, body, soul, spirit complex, right? Uh, they are they are fundamentally rooted in imbalance uh, and it, uh, often and in um, uh, perception as opposed to something that arises uh, uh, without uh, stimuli. So they don't exist in and of themselves either. They are, they are part of the world worlding. Uh, I'd also say that passions are pretty explicitly tied up into humoral theory, into this idea of elemental cosmological building blocks of, 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 of nature and, 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 and natural magic and magical nature. Um, that, yes, they describe constitution and personality, you know, proclivities and ease of, of behavior and habit. Uh, but they're also based around this dynamic balancing act of shifting mixes of of the influenced and the influencing, um, and that they also are kind of predicated on the idea of a kind of poorer self that we are not discrete from our environment. Uh, we are in fact, you know, navigating through these interconnected nodal webs of occult virtue, and that these are less manifest qualities, like we talk about, like heat and cold when we're talking about like that kind of elementalism, but they're manifest actions. They're heating, they're cooling, they're wetting, they're drying. There's a thermodynamics at play here. Um, and so they are, they're very much rooted in the elementated moistures of the body, of the, um, the elemental triplicities of time, as well as space. Um, they're, 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 they're understood that, you know, you can be just as you can catch other people's nightmares, because the, the other crucial notion here is the imagination and the and the image making faculties of the imagination, the the field like quality of imagination that is, uh, is 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 forming image magic in the head and around you that you can catch other people's nightmares or that you can um, develop the very things that you've been misdiagnosed as supposedly having. Uh, that that there's, we we talk about it in terms of uh, or you know many psychologists have talked about it in terms of power of suggestion. But this is very much based in a in a magical idea of of how the heart works, which is it's, is that it's it's prosecuting this uh, uh, this 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 grand interactive web of of sympathies and antipathies, right? Uh, that that Empedocles, when he's talking about that, uh, you know, before we start calling them sympathia and antipathia, it's love and strife, right? It's 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 fundamentally um, uh, passional, uh, we would say, uh, and so that leads very neatly to talking about you know planetary humors. And you know aspects of of the heart itself, as 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 what uh, one seventeenth uh, century passion theorist Thomas Wright talks about as the peculiar place where the passions are lodged, uh, that the heart changes, receives an alteration, and so the spirits, the blood, and other humors are are agitated and moves. And there's even a quote from 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 Galen, uh, which also thankfully works in the in the English, where the heart is, as it were, the hearthstone of the source of the innate heat, or the rat, sometimes called radical moisture as well. Which by which the animal is governed, and here we're back to that that thing about how um, Descartes isn't just being a, a stoned armchair philosopher when he says the main difference between a, a live body and a dead body is that uh, a live body is hot, right? I think we've talked about this before that like yeah. you are not hot because you're alive, you're alive because you're hot. Yes, uh, and so this again, this this fundamental thermodynamics of, of of life itself as well as all of its expressions. So. The term emotions is 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 used and and, and comes up, um, uh, you know, well before uh, the 18th century. But its meaning is a lot more tied to these motions of the sensitive faculties of the soul towards and away from things, as opposed mm. to later models that are going to emerge in the 18th century, the nematic model, for instance, uh, and even into you know modern um, uh, neurophilosophy and, and and neuroscience. Uh, one um, one of the the, the main uh, histories of the emotions and the passions, uh, passions and tempers, 
which is mostly about humoral theory. Uh, Nova Arika actually tries to do this grand tracing from uh, very ancient Greek all the way up to 21st century neurochemistry and argue that like we're huh. still talking about some kinds of moistures here just in very different ways. So there are, there are similarities. It's not, it's not an entirely alien thing, but I, I agree. I, thank you. It's, it's important that it's not just a, um, what's that loyally phrased distinction without a difference, right? Yeah. Um, that Passio covers both, uh, these, these, uh, stoic and Christianized elements of, of the, the war of the soul, of the, uh, of the afflictions of the world, as well as the, um, the, the, the impetus to be moved by things, uh, and to, um, not just uh, be pushed around, but to engage with the world more. One of the, the key things I come back to is um, the idea, not just of material joy of the of the, the joys of the body, of like you know eating a a lovely piece of cake or, or chocolate that you want, but that there's there's a notion of, of spiritual joy as well that nourishes the soul. And so these the, there are these threads. Just as I think love is a great example, uh, uh, as well as underlying sympathy itself. That um, love is, you know, has a history of being seen as both incredibly ennobling and not just nice, but like bringing potentially sparking the best in us or moving us to be to be to be better. Uh, but it's also the maddening thing uh, that um, that wounds us and enfeebles us, right? So, so we get that we get that whole gamut of things in this kind of approach to to passions, these magical approaches to passions themselves. A couple of things that makes me think of um, one, I. Thank you for repeating that. Um, the heat is what makes you alive, and yeah. I love the and the same examples from hero theory with like Aztec hero theory of you know the the fact of the exposure to the sun and and the the sun souls that give you is what is um, mm. you borrow some energy from the mother and her line, but exposure to the sun is what gives you independent heat, and mm. therefore that that bit of spark of life that's in you, which is because that will start to diminish over as you age. That elders are cold. By their mm. nature, and they literally are feeling more cold. They cannot; their circulation is not as good. They don't; they aren't as internally hot. That the right. youth are hot, and that the elders are cold. And there's this play of hot and cold, specifically within indigenous uh, humoral theory in Mesoamerica. That is is extremely specific, and yeah. it is looking at the heat as the progenitor, as evidence of the gods rubbing sticks together and creating a fire in the head, um, mm. which is which is that's why you're alive. You're not alive, and then the heat comes, which it's just a lovely distinction. Yeah, and you also see that with um with the uh, European models of of, of 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 humoral theory about like these are not just times of year; they're also like stages of life. And yes, uh, uh, old age is 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 melancholy for yeah. a variety of, of of ways. It is cooling. It is drying. Uh, it is a, a reflection of you know um, now is the stage of life where people aren't getting married or or having kids or divorcing, but dying. Um, and it's also why people become infertile. There's less heat. Like all of those things start to become. Right. One mm-hmm. as justifying, of course, because these are tested true models for hundreds of years. There's a reason that they are thousands of years, you know, these varied things that evolve. It also reminds me, are you familiar with the Rasas, like aesthetic theory out of, uh, I am not an expert in this, but my, I have explored it in actually in voice class amongst other things, but Rasa needs taste or impression. Mm-hmm. And it is, there are eight, which gives rise to a night in most theories. Some classical text lists, you know, anywhere from six to eight. But um, they are the extremes to which uh, an actor or a performer in theater, or which includes dance and song and all these things, should find a way to experience within the piece, um, mm-hmm. that it can be geared towards one of these. And the importance of understanding all of them is that these are both made up of humoral expressions, but they are also meant to 
as they move the actor towards finding how the body expresses these things or the voice expresses these things, that it, that it, it pl- relies on this understanding of theater, which is a gift from the gods to, to man, right? That, um, there's this understanding that, that, uh, rasa is produced from, uh, a combination of determinants, consequence, and transitory states. So there's like the three things huh. that do it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting that specifically. And that, um, as far as the eight, as they're listed in summary would be like the erotic, the comic, the pathetic, the furious, the heroic, the terrible, the odious, the marvelous. And then the last one, the ninth is bliss or tranquility, <laughs> which is not meant to be by itself. It is actually a combination of all other eight at once. <laughs> so the ability to feel and taste all things at once is bliss or oh, tranquility. The white light and, of, the, of the rainbow reassembled. Yes. Yeah, oh. exactly. So there's something, uh, you know, there's this beautiful quotes about Rasa and what this is, but like, uh, the enjoyment of Rasa is, is like this bliss that comes from realizing one's identity within the highest Brahman, where it consists of repose and the bliss, which is the true nature of one's own self. That to experience the extremities of life is to find what bliss is, that right. you will not find enlightenment having not lived. So what is Rasa? Uh, uh, one quote is it's an aesthetic response elicited by drama. It's mm. not an emotion itself, but it derives from the emotion. Mm. Um, and so it's this impression that we can categorize from that. And, uh, just the notion of its, of its reliance on, uh, the theater has as its goal to empower aesthetic experience and to deliver rasa, to deliver impressions or tastes to the people who are witnessing it. Uh, and that is the, the origin of certain mudra, hand positions, arm positions, body alignments, eyes, all these things within classical Indian dance, which is of course contextualized to various Indian subcultures. But I think the, the understanding of these things of each, you know, deities residing over each of them, but still at the same time, understanding them as uniquely human responses to something that we are witnessing. And that I, I also am struck in hearing you talk of again, I'm sure I've considered it before and I've written the word many times, but to understand how important motion is to emotion, uh, to be moved, to be moved by something. And it brings me back to like discussions of, of the kingdom of the harp and King Manda of mm. being moved by music that, or attraction that which mm. moves you without physically touching you is mm. the kingdom of the harp of music, dance, seduction. So uh, the Lira kingdom, liar. Not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bunch of bars, but like the, the spinning that happens there. Yeah. And if you can't find that spinning through music and dance, you're going to try and find it through alcohol. Right. And escape. Mm. You know, that's, that's the thing, you know, how beautiful it is to be inebriated and be with friends, how horrible it is to be drunk alone. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, you know, friends and, and, and socialization make up for. The rest of the way that the alcohol is trying to take you, you don't need the alcohol, but it can be a, a, a you know, a loosener of, of tightness yeah. as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And social it's, lubricant. It's, it's yeah, absolutely a social lubricant. It's absolutely talked about expressly as a, as an aphrodisiac uh, at various points. Yeah. See, yeah. You get the, the idea of like that, which, uh, alters or, or, or lubricates or, or, or allows, uh, things to flow through us more or less naturally in terms of like. What we could call it like passion magics themselves, right? We get like nat- what we might call natural aphrodisiacs, which are often some form of either they're like they have a, a, a non manifest quality of having a 
um, you know, a, a, a salubrious virtue, right. Of, 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 you know, the horny goat weed stuff. You also have some, some, some natural aphrodisiacs that are considered to be kind of enmattered passion themselves. Um, I, I, I think the, um, the hippomane is a great example of this, um, which I, I, I think we've talked about maybe in another episode, the, uh, the little, the little, um, it's like a, an extra placenta that's attached to a, a foal's forehead when it's born and the mother usually eats it. And so it is said that if you take that before the mother eats it, uh, it, it is the, the mother's love, um, for the foal in mattered. And so if you take it, she won't, uh, uh, she won't, she won't love the, the, the foal, but moreover, you will, you can then dry it on a blackthorn usually. Um, and it, it, it dries very hard and can be powdered pretty easily. And is one of Pal, I know what I want for my birthday. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get some out. I had a had a uh, uh, a friend who whose who's dad had a couple colts and uh, uh, dried me one. Um, I'll see if I can dig yeah. it out. There's um. It says in looking it up. I I it's new to me. Um, sea cow, lemur, and hippopotamus are often have the same thing, and occasionally such formation occurs on goat, sheep, and cows, ruminants. In general, and pigs. So I'll look for the goats. You get uh, hippomane. Oh my god! You, my yeah, exactly. Cow. And then, oh, I mean, come on, even pigs for lust, mm-hmm. like that is, and goats mm-hmm. for lust. Oh, that's, that's some, some lusty love okay. magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to say this because now I feel like it's an, we, we, we're going to have to like co-author an article here, mm-hmm. um, bringing in the performance studies because I'm really struck by passion magic, trying to make someone feel the pa- a passion mm-hmm. to be moved by. And when you bring, because Rasa is heavily analyzing theater where you were trying through a performance to make an audience feel a specific Rasa or a specific yeah. response. Yeah. And there's, I, there's so much theory. I don't know why that excites me so much because the theory should not be that exciting, but still there's no, something no. to this. I'm like, it is, it is a passion magic that is directly theater as a tried true place for understanding ritual and magic is obviously where I'm like pounding my fist. I'm so excited. Um, that that is something that's like that's my sweet spot right but like i think there's i i want to explore performance theory through looking at passion magic in that way and and rasa yeah well that's 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 the core of uh or part of the core of of uh, peter and carol stern's notion of emotionology is is looking at things that will later get called like emotion scripts but the the idea of 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 uh the performance of emotion of of the experience and expression of emotionality uh, and how that differs in, you know, in different places and peoples, you know, the, the past yeah. is a tree. They do things differently there. Uh, and so that, yeah, this is absolutely performance stuff. Well, I think of, 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 of a passion. If you like early modern acting is far more demonstrative and over the top and is almost comical by modern standards, right? Where we have since, you know, post Stanislavski and post early 20th century revolutions in theater. Uh, brought in a realism that that led to film film realism as well, right. um, and then and so you know the difference of like the body you know in theater you have to still act with your body and in film you can act with your face and that's there's there's differences there, but um, the the notion as we shift from uh, modern to postmodern and this because postmodernism as far as theater has more in common with classicism than it does with modernism, um, hmm. which is interesting. Um, there's often, although postmodernism dismantles hierarchies, there's still a difference. And one of the things with, um, an understanding in, uh, this is that the emotion portrayed is not necessarily the emotion received. Mm-hmm. So there's an understanding like in, um, 
you know, acting schools um, where you study the theater. Um, if you're trying to make someone cry, if you're trying to make yourself cry, there are many techniques for that from beating yourself up emotionally or you, I don't, I don't know, could try acting and then it's much easier as, you know, <laughs> the famous words. Right. Um, but for instance, you know, coming from a physical theater background of you do the things that you do when you try not to cry and your body will cry. Mm. So the tensing of the throat, the rapid breathing, the raising of the soft palate, the, the constant swallowing, those mm. it will bring a certain tension that, that will probably bring about crying faster than trying to quote unquote cry. Um, nah. similar, similar attitude. Um, that if you want an audience to cry, you don't cry on stage. You fight crying because they can't, the audience does not want to fight crying. And so that is what it is, is that you can draw out the tension of not crying on stage, of fighting back the tears and you see the moisture and the tears are going down the cheek, but the person hasn't given into it. <laughs> it actually makes the audience weep because yeah. it is a different, you are, oh, you're moving them to feel what you are not allowing yourself to feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's got to go somewhere. And, you, and rather than being a mirroring of the actor does something so the audience starts doing it. It's not a monkey see, it's a, because the actor isn't doing it, but this thing has been evoked, it has to go somewhere. Exactly. So the, the, this is why we like, you know, unrequited love, because it mm -hmm. makes us feel love. But, you know, it's like, no, we want this couple to, we have to resolve. And you're like, it's, mm -hmm. it's we should, we should. Just, yeah, to stop right before the emotional outpour so that it actually makes the, the motion has to go somewhere. The, the spirit has to possess somebody. And mm -hmm. if it ain't going to possess you and you're the one that called it, then it needs to go to somewhere else. That's, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I, I, I was trying to steer it towards that, that sense of, yeah, performance. Uh, but that makes, that makes so much more sense. You have summoned into the circle. Uh, uh, yeah. And you, and you're the one, the, the actor directs, right? In that sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Broad topic wise, I can link this to via very use because although there are not standardized lists of order of geomantic figures as often as there are in Al-Ramal and uh, specifically Isha, that the corresponding homoformity, the same shaped, uh, yeah. you know, symbols of, you know, one vertical line repeated four times in a vertical column, um, which would be Ogbe or Ejogbe. Ejogbe actually means two because we're also remembering that when we're talking about Odu, you're talking about two, a, a mirroring of itself. Um, right. And again, you know, my caveats on Odu, this is very simplistic and it's mainly just for discussion. And there are plenty of excellent sources on Odu out there and oh, it's a living tradition. So if you're really interested, find someone to study under. It's awesome. Um, but Ejungbe is the first, you know, and we, we codify it as numbers and say eight, eight, but you know, in the, in the Dilogun system, the correspondence, but it's, it is the first. It is the first of all 256 combinations. Mm. You get the 16 Megis first, the 16 twins. So the most pure, what we would say is like the 16 figures of Geomancy, but doubled on themselves. And then the mating of those different, the, the, the com, the com, combined forms of those, which then form out the other, um, past the, the 256, uh, the 240. But this is the first. And it, I, it has one of my favorite proverbs. Which by some is held to be the first line of Ifa, but I, I'm not a, a Yoruba speaker. I'm someone who has great reverence for the Yoruba culture and the spirituality, but I am of the Cuban system. So, you know, our, our things are codified in Spanish with Lucunyol or Lucumi. Um, but 
the fact that it is bit by bit we eat the head of the rat or bit by bit we eat the head of the fish. And this is uh, an admonition to take your time with things that count. The cheek meat or the head meat on a fish or a rat is incredibly exceptionally flavored, but it's very tiny and you have to take your time because it's very delicate. So similarly, the first verse of the codified wisdom of Ifa is take your time bit by bit. It will all unfold if you just keep going, which speaks to the flow of many things. It makes me think of the the stories of the incarnation of Ella as human and the inability to form a human body at first until there's this understanding that if I form a human body, I must teach. And so Orumila takes on two, two disciples, Ashada, and that wisdom is flowing out into the universe through the need to teach, through that kind of Thomasinian, like, I guess I've researched enough now. Now I must write the, the primary of, of Summa Theologica to give to people to understand the basics so that I can also train peers to have conversations with which is a big right like it's not you know there's this there's this divide that happens when you teach things that people are like well you know it, you just know so much you're like i don't need to know more than you i would actually love to be your equal and we could go argue and have a, a beer over it um right. or or a cider um uh but it's one of the things that i've always fucking loved about jake is that i disagree with jake stratton kent on so many things and yet I will always count him as one of my favorite fucking people to talk to because he gets excited when you disagree with him. And he's like, oh, really? Why? I'll buy the first round. And it's <laughs> some of my favorite conversations with you and him um, in, in Boss Castle of the pleasure of several of these events of just, thank God, it, what, what a fucking fun time to, mm-hmm. to have it be about a subject, not about ego, not about the, the devaluing of another's personal experience because it doesn't line up with your own. But rather, yes, yes, yes. Keep telling me you don't like what I'm doing. Why, why don't you agree? And really diving into it is just pure fucking amazing punk attitude. And like, right. You know, yeah. So shout out to, to Jake Stratton Kent and showing how it should be done in that way of just, just talk. It's about learning and mutual advancement, um, right. which we get from testing out all our emotions and coming back to the, you know, the enigma of bliss in the center, which we get from the experience of thundering i suppose makes yeah, it stronger the, not just the meandering of the light but the the coming back of the light together right yeah yeah um, like in all those uh those those rarefied spectrum of the of the rainbow back into the the white light again in a in a reverse pink floyd album right the the, yeah. the is, is is also this this concept of of the way of light uh the course yeah. of the, the light in the darkness specifically but yeah, it's it's also the path that you walk uh, and the and the road and both what's on the way and what's in the way. So both like argumentation and also like the um, the long walks on short tangents, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that the the road itself is also like something that we 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 eat with our feet bit by bit, right? What one foot in front of the other. Yeah, you know, it it, it comes to mind that this podcast and the way that we speak is all just very dear. Uh, because it, there's this challenge presented in Ogbe too that, you know, I'm, I'm oversimplifying and to understand that Odu is a, a, a vast system of not just this kind of knowledge that is, is, is applicable to like solving problems for divination and counsel and, but it also contains the medicine and the traditions and the customs and the, the, you know, the, the codified essence of, of a culture. And so it's very hard to, this is why it's important for me to say like, I am, I try very hard to not go into too much personal experience with Odu, um, because one, I'm not 
I'm, I'm a Santero who's training and I'm not authorized to speak on Odu in that way, nor are any of the, our listeners people that I'm agreed to teach. Um, and there is that always that problem of the, the one-sided conversation of the book, of which podcast is kind of a book, right? Unless I'm talking about, um, mm-hmm. in that you can't have the conversation with me to clarify what I said. Um, right. and, and God knows I'm confusing enough. Um, so I try and uh, stick to very much published accounts, um, and published translations of Odu poetry because they are actually poems that contain this. So it's all told in metaphor that is then talked about, um, and just, and, and, and broken down. But the idea that Ogbe, think of it like a tightrope, that it is very good for leading you forward and it is so easy to slip and fall. It is, it is that thing of like what, and I, and I'm, my visual here is like if, 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 if it's the tightrope, what do people crossing a tightrope use? Another, another long, strong thing that they use to literally cross the, the wire to keep their balance. Yes. Because one little fall, either way, misplaced, you will fall. You can get to the other side that no one else can get to. But you must be careful. Go slow. Assess your situation. This is the this is the sign of leadership. This is the sign where extreme knowledge can come forth. But it is not guaranteed. It is the whole white cloth is easily stained kind of proverb. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's it's, it's the, the 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 parallel here that that seems relevant and is 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 in 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 European Renaissance geomancy often framed a lot more like negatively and specifically is that fear is often a figure which breaketh and spoileth all the goodness of the others, saving in demands of journeys and voyages and to go from place to place, right? Uh, for which she is very good. So this idea of like, if you try and stay still on a tightrope and not move at all, you are very likely to fall off because even the slightest movement, but again, that, um, that balance in, 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 in a dynamic stability of, of putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, and if you try and uh, you know, the, 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 the willow that bends as opposed to the oak that is, is, is destroyed by the, by the coming of something in your way. Yeah. I think also of its relationship to, to populace. Right. And, um, the, you know, long ago when I was looking at a lot of geometric things, I was very much trying to, to look at, at Rommel and, and, um, Muslim expressions of, of, of geomancy. Um, but the understanding of the relationship of Zia as the prophet and populace as the con- as the people, um, mm. and this intrinsic difficulty because the prophet can be his own downfall right away, always, right? Just say the wrong thing and it's gone. A prophet in their own house falls yeah. short. But both those figures are also leaner. Famously, like <laughs> there's a lot of discrepancies in some, not a lot. There's a few other discrepancies for planetary descriptions. But like, yeah, the, the, I was reading recently about uh, uh, someone uh, was talking about uh, in, 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 in a forum uh, about uh, a populace being sometimes read as a mercurial figure uh, in some Arabic forms uh, of travel. Yeah. And that, that yeah. making me the, um, the uh, not that Mercury is only about crossroads, but like not just the crossroads as, um, as a, if you don't walk it, you are going to get hit by a car. That it's the it's the field of potential for things to to come from, and the connecting it is of the of the of the presence of absence. Yeah, I think what I think of it in the material way that it becomes um, the difference between the moonlight, a full moon reflected on the water, where you see that long stream of light, mm. versus ambient moonlight where everything is brightened, um, and the relationship there because this does become mercurial because when we talk about the crap. It's the Assassin's Creed model of like floating in and out of the crowd. You don't know where the blessing or the danger is coming from. Yeah. So it requires a certain awareness and a certain understanding that is very different 
a certain amount of discipline and training that can then lead you to have find great success, great wealth, great, great triumph in populace. But by its nature also is deceiving because it's not as the difference is, is you have almost no instructions or have to rely on self-discipline in a populist kind of world. And then you have all the instructions and must follow them to the T in a VIA type of world. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and the, the relationship between them, right? The fading of lights on, lights off and like that type of, um, you know, in a crowd, we're, we're all equal. Uh, and, and, and in VIA, there's no equality. There's no, it's everybody is on different ladders trying to ascend. And there's this hierarchy that's enforced in, in via, um, and similarly to reflected in there in these similar shaped Wuduifa. I often think, I often explain, uh, via as a, a figure of the, the moon that is about the moon's dynamism, the flow of the moon's spirits, even, um, that like it's the way the moon can appear to be there. And then you'll turn away and, and have a conversation with someone and suddenly it's somewhere completely different. And the, the quality of the, of the moonlit path that is both brightly lit but then also randomly obscured by 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 clouds uh passing and uh and being you know temporarily lost in a in a forest and and the populace is the is the stability of the moon's um orbit that we know predictably it will be somewhere but this take on lots of rules versus no rules is interesting in terms of like the moon is the key of the stars for very specific elections that that via seems to be that like Use all the rules you know to construct the exact, you know, uh, Israel Heibner and his and his exactitude in his um in his stopwatches for better uh, astrological talismans versus populace, which is okay. That that's that's the one instance of that particular election or that particular like magic of the moon you did. But like, how are you going to fold this into everyday life? How are you going to fold this into living about with a bunch of other people as well? How are you going to fold this into walking through the the marketplace uh, at midnight, haunted by all the possibilities of what's to come tomorrow and what came yesterday? Yeah, I'm, I'm struck by this, like, I'm too fixated on this notion of Via being the prophet. Uh, <laughs> well, it's also like, um, Ikra, right? This, 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 this command to recite to Muhammad, um, <laughs> peace be upon him of, of, of it looking like a sword of the, 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 it looks like a sword, that first letter of Ikra, uh, <laughs> and, and which is Via. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's this person, this command is there that a prophet speaking to the people. To enter for via to enter into populace uh, is via will go like it. There has to be such an internal compass there that continues, or via will be absorbed by populace. Right? It's 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 the West that receives the East. In and if we're going to go back to Old fact but um, or the, the or the wet earth slash moon that, that receives the sun, the night that receives the sun. All right. So this idea then of like how does a prophet maintain that? They have to maintain their vianness by getting people to follow them. If the message is important, people have to follow them in the line of via when they enter into populace so that via retains its vianness, as opposed to a prophet going into a crowd and trying to speak where they will lose. Right, 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 right. We're on with the Zarathustra stuff, right? Of coming down from the mountain and, and trying to tell people that everything's God. Um, and, and they're like, what, what, what are you selling? Uh, yeah, via yeah. is the figure of, of pilgrimage, and then it's about also like you know the the greater pilgrimage of returning home, right? And yeah, and the lessons that are learned along the way, uh, you know, are also uh, are the pilgrimage. <laughs> the little lessons along the way to revisit our mountains, time travel. Yeah, so I, you know, and I, there's this famous Cuban interpretation of the stories about how this corresponding or the uh, 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 Jogbe. Is not the highest in rank in heaven, 
mm-hmm. um, but that it's born out of a demand for um, hierarchy mm-hmm. and that there's this uh, myth that's recounted by several authors, including Ochoa Lele. So I'll, I'll kind of vary on his version. Stewart, uh, rest in peace. To understand that there was uh, equality in heaven when um, specifically it was Ochoa's uh, acquisitio, I believe, uh, correspondingly. He wants one. Yeah. As a king, everybody was equal in heaven, and this actually works out very well, except that some people felt that they deserved more than other people and so or these spirits or gods decided this and so they they decide to stage a coup and that coup is to put a bay in power because a jogbe is a is a good leader like we can tell he'll stand up he's pretty he's tall whatever it is and they stage a, a contest of tree chopping physical prowess and they give to to you know the current leader uh it's weird because we don't usually say the other name uh indoors or at night uh but uh to to Mr. Aquisitio's in his Ifa guys that, uh, you know, here's your tree and they hand him a dull axe or a dull machete and it's a hardwood tree. And to Ejogbe, they give a sharp axe or a sharp machete and a hollow tree, a tree that hollows out in the middle, um, specifically. And that, um, you know, of course, Ejogbe wins. And out of this is born the curse, it's called. So, uh, Every story can have relationships with multiple containers, multiple Obi. Um, and this one is still talking about the old king. So it, it also, in his leaving by, he goes, you want to mark the inequality? I'll tell you how. And he gives them cowrie shell, which are used as money. So now money is born, which is the marker of inequality. Uh, that, you know, when everybody was sharing their resources, people had what they needed for their individual needs, but not more than that. And now into the rule of Ejiogbe, the Highland, the Highlander principle comes in, right? There can be only one, right. and there's not enough room for everybody at the top of the ladder. Um, and in order to maintain your place at the top of the ladder, you must bring people up to the rugs before you, which kind of explores the the ladder principle in in in, in the Grzechian and uh, the way that Jeshi would understand it. Of just um, in order to ascend to the next rung, you have to bring somebody underneath you. You have to train them to what you know which speaks to the place in the workforce or any other place. If you are unreplaceable, then you cannot be advanced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are promoted uh, 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 until you can't do any harm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, God. So it's, it becomes this thing of like, well, shit, you know, if you, don't, if you don't take the time to teach someone what you know, then you yourself can't do any research. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. uh, or in, in this model. Yeah, it, it reminds yeah, me of of, of sub, subcommandant Marcos of the, the Zapatistas talking about yes. leadership as, as ruling by obeying. Yeah. You absolutely get this sense of like inversion with, with Via because of its, um, it's it, because of the, 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 I don't want to say the maths of it. Um, cause that's something that puts a lot of people off geomancy, but the, the way that because it's four single dots when they're added to another figure, how we, we mark not just this is a pattern, but this is what happens when this pattern meets this other pattern in tracing these inertias of, of, of probability and, and potential uh, into actuality, uh, that it inverts things that, um, that, uh, uh, Karka one, two, two, one, the, the, the figure of like, um, Saturnine boundaries and, 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 and restriction in some cases, you know, when it meets, uh, here, like it suddenly produces its, its inversion of, of conjunctio, uh, uh, that like it, it, it turns things inside out in some way. It has this, 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 this quality to, um, 
to to make you have to deal with the opposite force, right? That if you're falling off one way in the on the tightrope, you have to try and throw yourself the other way to to achieve a, a, again a dynamic stability. Yeah, not to cut it short on the Odu, but I actually realized did we, I know that I suggested someone in our first talk about this earlier in the week. Did you remember that he was on the list? Ah, um, speaking of the unknown, because uh, dead magician for the day. Oh, I I don't remember. It's a surprise. Uh, I just think it's interesting because you tied into it in the way of like, okay, yes, this this idea of via entering into to populace and this this extreme and the balance of like the 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 road is a tying two extremes together. That's mm. what it does by its nature. It invokes two, if not three. So uh, the person I had originally suggested suggested was Elephas Levy uh, mm. or Levi. Okay, so Alphonse Luis Constant. Otherwise known as Eliphas Levi Zahid, um, is a uh, esotericist, like one of the fathers of esotericism, we could say, uh, a poet and author. Um, you know, a couple dozen or books on on magic, Kabbalah, uh, alchemy, occultism. He was pursuing priesthood under the Catholics, but uh, he he left it at age twenty six, and. By age 40, he was now publicly professing occult things uh, and, and, and becoming a reputed ceremonial magician. So uh, Eliphas Levi is, uh, is a transliteration of his Alphonse Louis into Hebrew. Um, and it, he, his ceremonial magic, and because of the way he wrote his books, um, is also very... Uh, his books became very popular because they summarized great things in, in, in understandable, digestible chunks. Um, and also because of his attraction to esoteric orders and having been Catholic, there's a heavy reliance on ceremonial magic as the, the foundation of occultism and, and esotericism. Um, he's not necessary, which is starting a whole wave of understanding that's going to influence things like the Golden Dawn. But especially since he was in the um, lodge of the Grand Orient of France, uh, mm-hmm. which is it, it originated continental masonry, and and part of the beliefs in the Grand Orient of France is that they are the original, or that they promote the system where things something's got lost, and that they're doing the the right thing. Uh, and one of the reasons that he left Freemasonry was because Freemasons are excommunicated by the Pope, and the Freemasons don't believe in tolerating Catholicism for that. And the main objection of the Catholic Church, by the way, to Freemasonry is not that there was a worship of the devil or anything like that. It's actually that Freemasonry allows for other uh, interpretations of Christianity. Right, um, you have and a deliberately kind of vague notion of a, not vague, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ecumenical uh, yes. notion, the grand architect, right? That could that Yeah, could exactly. Called. So you're turning, you're actually not necessarily encouraging, but you're encouraging by omission of a promotion of the Catholic Church. Um, and, and that is what's hard and not actually the pseudo Hebraic Christian magic that's going on in, in certain laws degrees. But I'm sure if it wasn't that overt one, you know, the church kind of, when it goes after something, tries to use the least offensive person first, believe it or not. Like, like let's go for the thing that is easiest to say. And the reason I think Levy is, uh, so important, uh, for me personally, <laughs> uh, in addition to the influence he had upon uh, 20th century occult revival, hugely, uh, as you know, which is being bridged by the, the late 1800s to 1900s, the turn of the century, golden dawn, 
and things going on, which just leads to this codification of through summary, um, which proposes weird universals, which he did himself. Um, but he actually wrote his books from his first pers- person perspective. He's also the creator, as far as we know, of the Baphomet image, uh, which is something I would love to explore in the future, you know, as for whether it's Beelzebub or Baphomet as a demon. But his popularity, uh, also, and the, 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 the pub books being published in the manner allowed spiritualism to take on some of the higher, quote unquote, high magic aspects of his philosophies and incorporate them into spiritism, which elevated spiritism from a kind of folk rebel perspective. And I think in, in sometimes a detriment because spiritism, um, which kind of got born on both sides of the Atlantic at the same time, although the American contributions are not as acknowledged until recently that it arose out of Quakerism and Shaker faith. Um, right. and this idea of just being still and waiting for God to speak to you and that the conflation with, um, just say Levite, uh, principles of higher magic actually kind of took it away from the extremely pro-feminist and pro-abolitionist uh, mm. stance that early spiritism took here. Um, mm. Because if everybody has a right to talk to God, then it questions all hierarchy. It yeah. questions man superior over, over woman and, and white superior over black, which was a big thing. And all spiritist enclaves, as far as I know, uh, in the early, like the New York scene, were incredibly abolitionist and had people um, who were of mixed race uh, and women of color even running things. So it's, uh, it, it is, uh, it's a very different field of operation. The minute you merge it with high occultism, some of that old high occultism has the high hierarchies slipping mm-hmm. back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The very concept of like adepts, right? Is, yeah. is not necessarily like uh, invented by him, but the idea of you aren't just, uh, engaging with stuff or, or developing, uh, uh, awarenesses or, uh, engagements. You are, you are an adept who is, who is training to become m- more than, than other people. I think um, many people really liked him because he didn't, he only told what his actual experiences were. He did not profess to be a Blavatsky and like, I'm in touch with the great white, ascended great white masters living right. in a space palace above Tibet. Um, he, he just, he talked about the tarot um, and uh, he exposed, he, he very much agrippa his way, but through an honest and inter- like journaling, but an elevated way of, of doing so of exploring concepts and trying to wrap his head around certain, what I'm sure was viewed as universal themes in magic. Um, yeah. and, and, and of course, through Judeo inherit, Judeo-Christian inherited mindset, um, which is hard to break out of, but it, I, I don't think we, his, his influence on magical thought in the occult revival of the 20th and 21st centuries, it, it's undeniable. I think his impact on the golden dawn, which is a whole other topic because it's amazing that the Golden Dawn has as much sway over the 20th, 21st century as it does when it like it was only around for a few years and had very few members and fell apart in scandal. Anyway, but, and then going from there to, to Crowley and, and moving that way, um, I believe that it was also uh, good old Levi who, uh, or Levy, I go back and forth on pronouncing the name, I'm sorry, um, to, to say that the A-verse or the, the upright and the reverse pentagram uh, have different meanings. Right. And this just doesn't seem true universally before mm-hmm. this point. Um, mm-hmm. but it is now embedded in the popular me- mental site and it's quoted uh, 21st century magic constantly in early Wicca of like, 
oh no, it definitely represents the horned god when it's upside down and it's yeah. matter over mind as yeah. versus mind over matter. Whereas, you know, upside pentagrams are in churches everywhere um, yeah. as you know, symbols of the Christ light or the star of Bethlehem. Like, you know, it's it's very difficult. I do think um, like e- even the Theosophical Society owes so much to uh, Levi's uh, kind of honing in and, and touching on certain topics and bringing everything to like, here's one book. Let let read this book, and then you can read this next book. I'm 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 always struck by the fact that like, despite this this notion of um, you know of, of high magic of 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 not being um, uh, you know not being uh, dragged down to deal with with mere spirits uh, upon the earth, but like seeking the, the the divine truth and enlightenment and things that that he still tries to summon Apollonius of Tyana, right? Yeah, he's he's still like he's a dead magician who went after a dead magician. And uh, yeah, his his account is 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 very typical of that uh, that thing you're saying in terms of like he reports his experiences, um, and 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 there's some some wonderful phrases about like I don't know whether like I'm I, I'm not telling you what to believe about this, uh, you know he he talks about like the uh, the drunkenness of the imagination from the effects of of the preparations of the perfumes, the mirrors, and the pentacles. And uh, what's the uh, yeah I, I just I just looked it up yeah I do not explain the physical laws by which I saw and touched. I affirm solely that I did see and that I did touch and that I, I saw clearly and distinctly apart from dreaming. And this is sufficient to establish the real efficacy of magical ceremonies. Uh, for the rest, I regard the practice as destructive and dangerous. If it became habitual, neither moral nor physical health could be able to withstand it. And so within that one passage, you have all these different takes from ceremonial yeah. magic. Like, yeah. I'm like, it, 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 like uh, I'm, I'm prepared to accept some, some psychology along with some spirits, uh, which is again, a very like pre-modern traditional take that like, just cause you've, just cause psychology is real doesn't mean spirits aren't and vice versa. Um, but also uh, still being like, I, I did it. It was an experience, but like, you shouldn't do it. Like there's still that, like, you know, moral and physical health, um, kind of component to it. Yeah. A, a fascinating, like admixture of, of these different influences and, and, and uh, expectations. You just made, you made me think for stuff. Uh, did you ever see the seven faces of Dr. Lau? It's an no. old, old, uh, not old, old, but it's an old movie, uh, sixties or I think early sixties. Uh, Tony Randall. Um, I think it, it, it would be difficult to promote in a modern setting because Tony Randall plays, uh, Dr. Lau. He's playing an Asian man and kind of plays up the act, the, the, the look and everything as was done commonly in that time period. Yeah. Um, but he also plays Merlin Pan, Serpent, uh, the Serpent in the Garden, Medusa, Apollonius of Tiana, and the Abominable Snowman. And so he, he plays Medusa. Like he's, he, it's him as Medusa. It's his face that men want to see and desire and everything. But the idea is, is that there's this sideshow that comes to town in a small Western town and it's, there's these exhibits and it, mm-hmm. he is each of them. And so, um, everybody in like seven, several citizens of the town have intimate, um, pivotal encounters with each of these entities. And, um, Apollonius of Tiana, I just remember specifically, and I, you know, it's probably in here because of the promotion of someone like you're reading Libby's books and, and the understanding that he tried to summon him. Because when you find out that the magician that you're reading tried to summon a specific person, it goes mm-hmm. in your memory mm-hmm. far, more than just like, oh, here's an ancient figure. What would you like to do? Like, I want to call the dude my that other like person I read did. Um, yeah, is, is yeah, yeah. Pretty. And then also like, I think Levy does a very good job at like forming a proto genealogy of magical theory in that you can clearly trace like Mesmer through to San Martin through um you know 
Struchel, Levy, and, and, and Rushenbach and these ideas of the astral, because uh, Levy's big things will imagination and the astral light or the astral in general. And, and he's not making any of them up, but he's trying to understand these things as, um, a tra- foundational trinity of, of the occult. Right, right. He says lo- lots of ideas of what the astral is and isn't. Yeah. And like looking at Paracelsus for his ideas of will and imagination, um, that, yes. that as, as well as synthesizing, uh, uh, Paracelsus's reports on, uh, uh, gnomes, uh, or pygmies, uh, salamanders, uh, sylphs and undines, uh, yes. the, 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 the prayers of the elementals are, uh, are probably put together, uh, by Levi, but based off an awful lot of Paracelsus going and speaking to miners about what, well, you know, uh, what are the, what are the knocking spirits in the mines like, you know? And so this, 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 this flow between, um, folk expressions and folk like, uh, wisdom and experience, uh, into, uh-huh. Uh, uh, like the, the hieratic, uh, consideration of, 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 of elemental magic. Bringing it back to passions, he has, um, the warning, the operations of science, magical science are not devoid of danger. Their result may be madness for those who are not established on the base of the supreme, absolute and infallible reason. They may overexcite the nervous system, producing terrible and incurable diseases. Let those therefore who seek magic in the means to satisfy their passions pause in that deadly path. Where they will find nothing but death or madness. This nice. is the significance of the vulgar tradition that the devil finished sooner or later by strangling the sorcerers. Mm-hmm. Think of your soul, your yeah. immortal soul. Yeah. Yes. If you're actually, if you are hist- interested in the, the 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 lineage of the genealogy of, especially the 21st century occult revival, there are a couple essential Levy books: the Transcendental Magic and the the Doctrine and Ritual thereof. Right? Is that the, yeah. the, the translation? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I also, uh, death wise, I'm always fascinated with people who are disinterred and placed in a common grave or placed in an unmarked grave. And it was like, did he just not want people to steal his bones? Is this like right, a right, 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 right. Um, so yeah, there's, there's something there. Um, or down into Ikundra in some ways. Yeah. 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 He died on the feast of St. Joan of Arc, um, which, which I look at things like that. Uh, May 31st. So thank you. That was uh, a lovely 24th. Yeah. Great to chew on some, some, some big old, uh, and important demons and, uh, the demonized heart and it's, and the light that breaks from it. Um, you know, Al, for a vegetarian, that was a lot of meat for you to chew on. <laughs> the gristle I, of eating that which can be passed but never yeah. uh, broken. Uh, it's also uh, to very much acknowledge riding the the dopamine fix of of caught upness and the the projection forward that allows new vias to forge a path that we can fall off our damn tightrope anyway we please now. God forbid this episode don't make it out on time. But to Lord Ashtar and the Ashtar command, uh, the, you know, the mercurial being that is Ashtaroth, to pouring forth a uh, more fecund conversation in the future. Yes, <laughs> that was that was <laughs> much more uh, summarized and, and poetic. I hope, as academically minded as we are, and as much as I joked about just picking the saint because he's up to the end of January, I'm I'm thrilled that we did pick him because it's it's yeah. there's been multiple connections. And, uh, I, I, it, 
puts faith in our Sesame Streeting of mm. even for convenience of um, big topics and finding connections. Because I think um, you know someone asked what the point of why we do what we do, and what is to hang out with with each other. I imagine yeah. and and spur conversation for ourselves as well as start conversations with people that come up to us like what you said on that episode. Like, let's talk about it. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. in the spirit of it, always in the, in the, the spirit of Jake, um, uh, you know, argue at me all you want, as long as we're, you know, in a pub somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, another discourse yeah. to go around the table. Yeah. Yeah. Patron of scholars, uh, uh, preservative of chastity, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of things there. And I expand that notion of chastity to mean just, you know, Keeping your Venus as you go into the world, like don't keep your, your, your course charted. Um, you know, if you're always traveling, then via is always good. And, uh, may we all draw a figure so damn well that it becomes like the Baphomet and it's just now given a life of its own. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the oak that, uh, pours forth, uh, acorns to stand stronger than it did. But even, even when we are fell, um, may our children shoot towards the sun. May the, the offsprings of our discussions shoot towards new light and uh, other various poetries of great and lesser import, including <laughs> the little losses along the way. Um, little losses along the way. <laughs> all right. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so you much. Everyone for, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, thank uh, you. Yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, remember, find us on www.radiofreegolgotha.com or on the Folk Necromancy group on Facebook, or like our Facebook page. Find us on Twitter. We are trying to get better about announcing new things. There are more speakeasies to come. There are some other things we have planned that we won't announce lest we break our eggs before we even sit on them, or before <laughs> Al poops them out. So, thank you all. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Astaroth. Uh, Astaroth! Astaroth! All right. Take care, everyone. <laughs>